on it. And yeah. There's so many people I'm like, all right, be on it or like this. Yeah, and then right. Ten, ten minutes <laughs> in there, they're like, oh, they're over here. They're far. I'm like, it's like, how come I can't hear any low end of my voice? It's a ama- You don't realize how much no one knows about I know. microphones and gear and sound until, you know, you go on down the past, we've gone down. <laughs> until you do live sound? Until you do live sound, <laughs> until you do audio production, until weddings, you do sound design, wedding, anything. Weddings are great. Oh, my God. The toast and oh, the microphone. I just did one Saturday. Yeah. And, the, yeah, the guy had the microphone. Always. And he's in front of the PA. Yeah. <laughs> he's down here. And the wedding planner's like, looking at me, and she's like, I'm like, I know. He needs to go up a foot. I know. And go like this. Yep. And yeah, people get, I, it's a nerve thing. Yeah. You can tell people get nervous. Because they'll they feel, do it and then they'll drop it again. Because they hear themselves and mm-hmm. they go, oh shoot. Yeah. I, I'm so loud. Yeah, I'm loud. I've never heard myself like yeah. this. Um, that psychological factor of like mm-hmm. not knowing what it's like to hear yourself back mm-hmm. because you're so used to hearing the bone induction. Yep. And then the sounds diffract your ears. So, so you get more low end. Yeah. Oh, so totally. you don't hear that nasally, nasally thing that everyone has. We're also nasally. We're also nasally. You <laughs> we don't all think know. we have like this sweet bass. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> what's in front of the mic now is the nasal, right. the mouth, yeah. not the low frequencies diffracting. Right. Mic. It's not right on your bone, yeah. in your head. And when you tell someone that, they still don't get it. But once you do it enough, you start to understand. Like, yeah. I don't, I, you always disassociate from your voice when you hear it, but yep. I don't care anymore. You I just, don't either. You, you just know, accept it. That's just, yeah. Right. It's like a different person. It's yep. weird. It is. I I still am like shocked every time I hear my voice on like a talk back. I'm like, oh God. Like, I need to like, you know. (laughs) Do you find yourself as an audio engineer? Um, Well, I guess let's tell people what you do. We kind of just started going. Oh yeah, that's true. (laughs) You maybe tell tell the world what you do and who you are. I'm, you know, I think audio engineer is a funny word in that I don't, I, I, I like to almost tell people I'm a audio producer than an engineer mm. because I feel like even though I twiddle those knobs and everything I like to get more involved in it instead mm. of just engineering mm-hmm. I feel like I personally like that because I don't I don't like to just sit there and put the levels up and be like is this good is this good it's like I really like to get more involved mm-hmm. with music so I do like to tell them like I'm a producer yeah so but yes I'm an audio engineer so both by default yeah you could be both. kind of both right yeah like now even more so like these it's very days, rare that like no one comes in with a producer right so well, not not at the level where yeah we're at not exactly. with the money well, even even the level right now like it's 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 very rare that even like someone even on like you know pseudo famous label has a producer they kind of they kind of just kind of come in with their thing and then the label is like yay or nay you mm-hmm. know or fix this or fix that or something. yeah so yeah so how did you find yourself coming into being an audio engineer and you're an audio yeah. engineer at jam deck yeah right mm-hmm. owner it's just it was like four years now wow so yeah that's awesome yep so we should tell it that we went to school together yeah doug and i went to columbia yep. college chicago together I went there from 2012 to 2014. What years did you go I think that's when I went. Th- I don't even remember. I blocked it out. <laughs> Why did you block it out? <laughs> I don't know. I, I more blacked out, I think, than blocked it out, you know? <laughs> so when people do ask me, like, when did you graduate? I'm, like, with my fingers and my hand. Like, I don't even know. Like, you know, it just happened. Yeah. And I spun out of it. So. Yeah. It, it was a blur. That was a hard time. Yeah. yeah. So I actually, I don't know if you know this, but I was not an audio major. Mm. Right. I was a music composition major, so taking audio classes. And so my l- relationship with the teachers was kind of funny in that, um, 
you know, studying music at Columbia, they had some classes trying to teach audio production and they were really bad at it. Mm-hmm. And then, um, so that's when I started taking classes at the audio department. So they had classes in the music composition department. Yeah. That was trying to teach audio production. Yeah, because they had like a, a school that has one of the best ones in the world. Totally, because it was a music, they had a music lab. Oh, okay. Right, and they had all these computers with Pro Tools in them and, and like Ableton and stuff. And you could... This is going to be funny, but I'm going to be very honest about this. They had two classes. One was called electronic uh, composition, and it was for the music lab. So you could go there and you could make these abstract electronic uh, pieces on them. And you had a class you had to attend every week too, right? So like that's where like Maximus P showed up and all those things, and just learning like basic Pro Tools and stuff. And, uh, and then you had another class that was literally called Electronic Music Composition Making Beats. Oh. Yeah. So you could like make beats. So I took both. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I made, learned how to make beats. Right. <laughs> how was that? So silly. It was great. Because <laughs> the teacher, she was a classically trained violinist trying to teach how to make beats. Oh, and it was man. actually kind of cool, but also funny because she was yeah. like obsessed with like Laurie Anderson and stuff. So she did teach some like really rad stuff. Mm-hmm. And so... Um, yeah, that's where I started with Pro Tools. I never used Pro Tools before. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> I grew up with Fruity Loops, right? So, yeah, I've always used Logic. And oh yeah, stuck see, with I never me. even touched Logic. See, so, I'm the opposite. Like, yeah. I only have used Pro Tools at. We should tell you that's like a a, a software program. Oh yeah, because we start talking about that. <laughs> yeah, if you were right. like, what? For those listening, Pro Tools <laughs> is a recording software program or digital audio workstation mm-hmm. in our world, a DAW. It's a digital tape machine, essentially. <laughs> <laughs> and that's made by Avid. Right. And then Logic is made by Apple, and that's also a digital audio workstation. Right. Pro Tools is more considered to be the industry standard that's what they say that's what they say <laughs> um and then i'd say right underneath that is probably logic yeah popularity yeah um yeah i always just use that because i always had apple products that makes sense and then at columbia they had pro tools yep and then i went to the art institute and they had pro tools oh that's right you i forgot that you went to the art institute yeah, yeah after yeah. you gotta was, talk about that i'm <laughs> that, super curious that was an interesting experience yeah, yeah. yeah. it was fun I, it was so different from columbia but oh like, yeah in all the ways that I've always enjoyed music and production as far as not so much the tried and true avenue of being an engineer and mm-hmm. point to point, uh, you know, analogous information from like a microphone out of a speaker. Yeah. But like all the weird stuff you can do between point A and point totally. B. Totally. You know? Yep. Which is really fun because I've always, I never realized I was more into being more like a sound artist. Mm-hmm. I've been described by my friends as a soundsmith, yeah. stuff like that. Yeah, 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 yeah. So that's where like, Branching how to properly capture information yep. is what I got from Columbia. Yeah. And how to properly be creative and manipulate information is so what that's, I got from that's, the too. That's the upside of it is that, you know, when you study it and you learn all the logistics and everything, but then you learn the other side of it, of the like compositional side, mm-hmm. it's great because I think for me, what I've experienced when I go to a lot of um, museums that have like a sound art installation or, or maybe someone that's like learning that, I, I feel like they kind of went on either side mm-hmm. kind of to the extreme so their stuff conceptually is cool but it sounds awful <laughs> and then the people that make it on the other side are like it sounds great but the concept is so lame <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean and not, I, I shouldn't exactly say lame but just kind of like okay yeah alright I mean it's uh, your subjective thought totally it could be yeah, lame yeah. to yeah. you not I mean, all the time but you know that, it's, that it's really good to have a combination of that and even in engineering like working with bands it's very good to have that mm-hmm. so Again, kind of back to the whole thing of like, 
it's cool to archive a band, but I don't think that's what bands actually want right now. I don't think they like. I think they want a little bit of like cheerleading and, and, and ideas to to um, collaborate with. So. Yeah, I mean, how could you not do that when either you're off to the side in a control room or yeah. behind the glass, and you're hearing all this information? You're you know using tools to get it balanced or manipulate things, but at the same time, you're still the you know, the fifth person, the eighth yeah. person, however many people are in the band, you're that extra person. You're the midwife. You're the midwife. You're yeah. something going on there that's a part of it. And I also think it's part of the mindset now where a lot of people, at least in our age group, give or take five years, are in a place of learning how to collaborate. A lot of them came up in a DIY yeah. world where you learn you can get further by bouncing ideas off each other. For sure. Collaboration, whereas in the back in the day, in the 70s, 80s, 90s, I feel like the word engineer, it's such a technical word, and it yep. came from, because these guys were technicians. Literally lab like, coat wearing. You had to be an electrical engineer <laughs> yeah. to learn how to, to <laughs> totally. actually know how to use yeah. equalizations and, comp- and... Okay, so this is a great example of why I struggle with calling myself an engineer, because, you know, there are things around the studio where it's like, I could fix that with a soldering iron, but I, I'm too busy, or, I'd, or, I'd, or like, I could open up the schematic mm-hmm. of this compressor or something like that, and really learn that by almost... I kind of distanced myself a little bit from it because mm-hmm. I still want the mystery to be mm-hmm. in there, you know? So Well, it's like why you're an audio engineer. Yeah. You're not an electrical yeah. engineer. I'm not either. Or a yeah. mechanical engineer. Yeah. Or any other type of engineer, but yeah. or a civil engineer. Like there's so many, but an audio engineer is someone who can understand how to properly right. capture sound. Totally. That's, and have it go that's from, true. from a microphone, yeah. one transducer out of yeah. a speaker. And have that whole signal phone be pure, clean, yep. proper to to take what that person's doing and have it translate. Yeah. So like we are audio engineers. Yeah. Like how could you not be one when you're engineering audio? It's a good point. Like it, that's that's to simplify it. There's yeah. a lot more to it. But because you're, this is really that, nice that like the therapy of like no, <laughs> you're bringing it out of me. <laughs> like, yeah, you need right. to you need to identify. <laughs> you need to yeah. It's it is hard. It's yeah. when you. It's weird to give any label yeah, to anything. It's truly, usually something yeah. other people bestow upon you. True. Like yeah. I was telling you in the basement before we recorded. To me, it's just my basement. Yeah. I literally just said in the basement instead right. of saying in the studio. But everyone else comes down and they go, "Oh, the studio, the studio, the studio." I'm like, "Yeah, this is my basement." Yeah. But they have to tell me that. And I have to be like, "Yeah, it's a studio. I am doing this thing. I forget yeah. this." Um, but yeah, it's audio engineer is a very fascinating one because it always end up going into like a producer realm, especially. When you have a music background, which you yeah. do, yeah, you know, music composition. I have a music background, so unless you're a thumb, yeah, it's pretty innate to just be like start giving musical ideas, right? Because we all did this because we played in bands, yeah, or, we, or whatever. So yeah, yeah, we play music, we play yeah. in bands. Do you play in anything right now? Um, I'm actually now a solo act. So yeah, I I was in a band, and then um, yeah, just kind of. It's really I, I should say this. It's when you commit to the job of being an audio engineer or producer mm-hmm. these labels we're gonna say uh it's really hard to be in a band yeah it's very difficult yeah because yeah. uh you know you will spend 10 hours eight hours whatever a day working and giving your complete energy into someone's music and for me personally when i'm done with that i just want to go home and just chill mm-hmm. like i don't i don't even really listen to music after that have like, you you haven't gotten your brain to hop between that spectrum of music enthusiast, musician. Yeah. Not even musician. Music enthusiast, 
music writer yeah. position because mm-hmm. sometimes like I'm in a band where I don't have to really write much. Yeah. But I'm also in bands where I do write. Yeah. So there's different brains there. Then a music, like an audio engineer, then you go further into someone who's like a producer yeah. engineer. Like it's a wide spectrum and it's different for everyone because it depends on how much you put into it. Sure. I have, it took until very recent, maybe the last two years for me to be able to hop between the hats and like shut off those valves. Totally. And be like, tonight I will put on vinyl, listen to it and just attach and even being able to analyze the crap out of yeah. it, mm-hmm. which I know you know what that feels yeah. like. All the way to just like, oh, this is nice. I like what they said there. I'm not paying attention to what Mike, I think, is on the kick sure. drum. Yeah, yeah. Or why they equalize it that way. Why it's placed in that position. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In the stu- yeah. You know? And do you ever make an active effort to try to do that? Or is it hard sometimes to I think it's always a learning process. But yeah. I, I, it's so cool we're talking about this because I think I just had the, the epiphany of it like literally last month. Mm. So I think that I had to really figure out what music I even wanted to do, which I know that sounds silly. But I think for me, the struggle was like, I always love too much of scattered things, you know, genres, whatever. And so when it came to making music, I was just like, oh my God, what am I going to write? Because mm-hmm. I want to do so many things. And I'm now I'm like paralyzed by the thought of even like <laughs> writing something. I love that you just said that. And then you like bring up a guitar <laughs> and you're like, well, I know a G chord and I'm so sick of a playing a G chord, you know, and, yeah. I, and, I, and I've always been a guitar player and that's also been a little bit of struggle because I kind of fell on in love with it because I the guitar is super fun but um, it kind of keeps giving back a similar sound that I've heard just so many times and this is my opinion right this is because when I record other people playing guitar I'm always like god that sounds great and I'm so stoked for them and Mm -hmm. you know Um, so I'm not bashing guitar players but just for my own um, playing I think that guitar became just a drag for me. So mm. I started buying um, like battery powered drum machines and um, synthesizer samplers and stuff, stuff that um, I could hook into a laptop if I wanted to, but I didn't have to. Mm-hmm. And I had like strict limitations. And they're all like sounds I just never worked with before. And that has been a new thing for me of uh, mm. being able to work because you just have this box and you can't. You know, you can only work with that box. And so instead of like being on a laptop, especially like Ableton, oh my God, like you, you start working in that and it's it's just a rabbit hole mm-hmm. of just like effects and whatever, you know. Mm-hmm. But I've noticed that when I just kind of just have this controlled environment of just a couple things going into whatever a cassette deck or something just to hear it back, mm-hmm. I have a lot more fun. And that limitation has been super sweet because I can finally sort of like program it, I guess, in a way with these devices, you know, and then I I kind of let it play out. Mm-hmm. And so that's been really fun. It's also great because these are sounds that I, I could not think about to make. I have to make them through discovery, right? Whereas a guitar, like I know what's going to happen. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. And and that's okay, but I, I like these boxes that like I can make something, and I I just I've never heard that sound before, and so I respond to that, and then I start writing and, and chopping it up inside the computer, so I'll spend a whole day just bleeping and blopping for hours, you mm-hmm. know, and ninety percent of it is awful, but like ten percent <laughs> on a good day, there's something in there that might something you know that yeah. I really enjoy, and that becomes an idea. What do you play under? Do you have a n- no no name yet? Just it's so under, new, under yeah. Your name Doug. I've never done solo stuff before. Okay, so yeah, I don't know if just going under Doug would be cool. You that sing be, too? I don't know yet. I do, and see, that's the thing. It's like I I I don't know if I want to just make it like 
this is going to get a whole thing, but I'm going through this very like thought process of like, do I even want to sing in music anymore? Like I kind of like stepping back behind the whole being present in a band. And I kind of like the idea of making essentially dance music Mm -hmm. and I don't even want people to look at me. I just want to perform it. And I want people to look at each other and dance. Mm. That's where I'm at right now. So. Do you do you think you found yourself not wanting to sing or perform when people look at you? Yeah, it's what's so weird. Because of like the same role of why you chose to be an audio engineer. I kind of so. hide behind the glass yeah. and guide stuff. Totally. Be the transmitter for totally. information. I just want people to listen. I don't want people I don't want people to look at me. I'm the same way. I just I just like <laughs> that's so I, I don't mind doing it, but like I, I think there is something very uncomfortable about it to me. Like yeah. I just, it just really does make me, especially, you know, when you're playing a song and then you end the song and it, everyone claps and it gets really quiet and mm-hmm. then you have to be like, oh God, what am I going to say? Do you think it's because <laughs> of like uh, your own introvert or, or self-conscious? Yeah. And I'm not even like an introvert. I'm definitely an extrovert. Yeah. So I think it's just that I, I, I really want to force people to listen to it and mm-hmm. not, I, I'm, I'm so, I can talk about this. So. I'm a little tired of like the presentation of what someone looks like when they're performing, what they're mm-hmm. dressing like, what their skin color is even, right? Like Absolutely. I, all this stuff. I kind of just want to like figure out a way to just get rid of all of that and and make it again about the music and people enjoying it. And I think dance music really does that well. Like, And I think to me that's why that genre is so appealing to me right now. Mm-hmm. Always has been, but I always thought like I would never – play that or write that music but now i'm like in a whole new phase of discovering some of this and and really enjoying it that um it seems like in a time in my life right now where it's like right all these things are building up where it's like okay i have to if i'm going to write music or perform music i have to do it on my own time and that means not having anyone else in the band because <laughs> i don't want to ruin their time mm-hmm. right um so i need to like make that a thing and then i can write around that and then performing it it's just me and i can kind of control all of that with these devices and stuff so and i think too it kind of gets rid of the whole um okay well i have a new song for you guys you know like all that stuff and i think maybe i've done live sound for a while i've heard all that banter and i've heard i've felt all that awkwardness i've seen it all uh, not I've haven't seen it at all. I've seen a lot of it. But mm-hmm. I'm just like God. I do not want to do that. <laughs> I, I can relate to you on God bless the people that do that. A lot more levels than I think we know. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot you extrapolate when you're when you're president those because a lot of the times you're so when you're recording a band. Yeah. When you're doing live sound. Yeah. I'm gonna assume most of the time, if not all the time, you're probably sober. Oh yeah, totally. Yeah. So, so am I. So yeah. you're really present. Yeah. And you're working, yeah. so you're like trying to learn and figure stuff out. So you're even more locked in. Yeah. So you're paying attention to every detail. Yeah. And you're trying to make less mistakes and learn more. So you're learning a lot from that. Whereas another person is like going to that show. Yeah. They're drinking their beer. Yeah. Maybe they smoked. They're just trying to express themselves, and all those things are fine. Yeah. They're just trying to express themselves. So maybe they're more in that moment, not thinking about the technical stuff, not thinking about. Like, they're just trying to talk. Maybe they're nervous. Yeah. And I am in the same category with you as far as I want it to be about the music and not about me. Like, I don't get nervous if people are looking at me play or if I'm right in front of them. It doesn't bother me at all. It's, I I want it to be about the music. Sure. And not about me. And that's why I do like listening to a record. You put it on 
and your mind isn't going, I wonder if this is a man or a woman. I wonder yeah. if this is a person who's black or white. I right. wonder if this person's gay or straight. Like, right. You don't go to any of those places. You right. just, you listen to what it is. And once you start finding all that information, then you yeah. get into that weird world of just all this weird game and contests and measuring stuff. Yep. And I'm not a fan of it. But it's, it's, it is fascinating that you, you said that because I, I feel the same way now after doing so much with production. I feel very detached from that performance side yeah. and that like the, the banter, like doing all the shows we've done here. I have yep. the same experience with hearing people do that. And it's, it's interesting. I don't know. I, I never know how to go about it. You learn so much about how sound works yep. and music, music theory, production, tone, electricity, how they all come together that it is hard to fully detach. I always say I do, and I, I do, but there's always parts of it where you can't, sure. mm -hmm. can't unknow it, you know, and it gets a little tricky. It gets really hard to be, like I was once a musician, and now I have all these things weighing it down, Yeah, like sandwiching that down, and now I play in a couple bands, but I get to play what they wrote yeah, yeah, and right. kind of slide in and use yeah. my musicianship to not have to think so hard about sure the composition. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, you're and, putting in your texture and everything. Yeah, adding what I do and I just kind of stay away from it. Where I really find pleasure is doing like experimental improvisational like sound design, sound art. Right. Just So, you know, the, the reason why I think that it's very natural for someone who's like an engineer to go into that kind of music is because you know how to control it so well. Yeah. So when you can like produce that music, it's, it's inevitably going to be kind of crazy sounding, right? <laughs> yeah. Like, and I think that's why You're I, right. that's why I got so like that's why I think the the light bulb went off for me. And I think I was also kind of thinking, I'm like, why are so many recording engineers like so into modular synthesis? And and so I'm like, well, duh, it's it's our literal job, like a patch bay. Mm -hmm. If you know how to run a patch bay and you know what follows what and and you know EQs and signal filters, flow. Sig it's a signal flow. Signal flow is and probably the king of it all. Signal flow is so dope. <laughs> like I, I seriously wait, go to we bed. Have to, we have to pause. <laughs> wait, wait. I, it's literally all I think about, and I hate it sometimes. But like, we are big nerds. Yeah, I know. We, we just, you just said signal flow is dope. And it gets I, me so and I, stoked, and I agree with you. <laughs> but the best part is when you explain it to somebody, yeah. and that light bulb goes off, that that snap, and they go, "Oh, like I get it." And then that like changes their life forever, and they understand. Yeah, because it's not just in audio; like signal flow is like everywhere. It's literally life. It's life. And I want a shirt that says "Signal Flow is Life." We got to get these made. <laughs> wow, this is the this is a it's got wires coming. This out. is a good one. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, truly, that I mean, what's so cool is that Signal Flow is so cool. You like learn the basics, right? And then you and you learn it's kind of like hip bone is connected to the you know whatever yeah. bone. And then, but when you start taking the cables and you start plugging them in backwards and incorrectly. And and I tell all my interns this. It's like you know, just take a fifty. Just, you're not going to break anything. It's okay. Like plug, just start plugging it in things. Like it, you might get squelching feedback, but that might be sound so cool. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And yes, there's a correct way to get a clean audio signal and stuff. But it it's also cool to cascade preamps together, or mm -hmm. whatever. You know what I mean? Or yeah. reverse something. And so, so yeah, it, make, it makes total sense why you would get into like module or, or synthesis, right? Mm -hmm. Especially because you you start to see the crossover of like ideas and terms, especially. Mm -hmm. And you're like, oh my God, like the the high pass filter on a console is like whatever, but a high pass filter on a synthesizer is like insane. Mm -hmm. You know? Mm -hmm. And so you want to like combine those worlds a little bit and you start to you start to understand the logic. And then it's like, oh my God, I actually know what I'm doing mm -hmm. in a way. 
Yeah, you start yeah. to have a controlled chaos. You, it's controlled chaos. That's exactly what it is. I always call it that. That's it's, my. It's totally that because you you really learn that, uh, especially was like especially when you get like resonance fil- resonant filters. Mm-hmm. That's where it's at for me. Where it's mm-hmm. like cool, but what happens if we put it through a wah pedal? Yeah, you know? it's like yeah. <laughs> it's like someone could be like recording and like. That's cool, but like, let's put it through wall pedal for real. Mm-hmm. And even <laughs> telling someone how to kind of make a weird uh, analog wall pedal. Like, yeah, I, I've done it where um, I tell someone like, take your headphones. Yeah, turn up a little louder. Yeah, make it a little uncomfortable and just go like this. Yeah, totally. And, like that's that's a wall yeah. pedal. Cup your ears. That's all that's going on. Yeah, and then take your headphones and put them up to your speaker and hear that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Just all that yeah. fun stuff. And totally. For those listening who don't know what signal flow is, it's. It probably has different definitions across different mm. practices, but I would say for the most part, at least in audio, it's just right now I'm speaking to this microphone. It's attached to an XLR cable, and it's going all the way to a preamp, and that preamp is now going to an analog-to-digital converter, which is making it to where it can be read through zeros and ones in logic, printed on there, then that goes back out, does the same thing, the inverse, goes through, out the output. So quickly too, right? Yeah, very it's fast. Crazy. Very fast. The output through headphone output all the way to the headphones to our ears. And that's signal to get it from point A to point B. Clean, clear, proper, fast, no latency, everything. It's life. It's fast. I mean, it's the speed of light, give or take, until it gets processed. And right. even that, it's at a buffer speed of, I think this one's at 64 <laughs> bytes so, or bits. So it's I think it's like 3.2 milliseconds. Yeah. Which is negligible for human hearing. You yeah, can't yeah, yeah. tell that delay. Yeah. Little latency is okay. Yeah. We all have little latency, right? I mean, even our even our brains, like our brains, our, eyes. our action potential. I'm looking I at you, but you're slow. actually in the past. <laughs> oh, all the go. time. <laughs> here we go. <laughs> signal flow. Yeah. Signal flow. <laughs> oh man. Yeah, but I literally lay at night, like in my bed, and my girlfriend's like, what she can always like, she always catches me. She's like, I have this like blank stare, even like mid conversation, and it's really rude. But like we could be like having dinner or something, and I'm just like thinking. She's like, "What are you thinking about?" And I'm like, "I'm so sorry. I'm thinking about signal flow." Is she into this stuff at all? Yes, she is, but only in a way of like entertainment. Of like when I when she asked me a question, right? You know what I mean? Which right. I think is really fun. Yeah, yeah, it's cool. Absolutely. And because like you can kind of like start talking about like oh you like simple things even mm-hmm. where it's like oh that prints song has a gated reverb on that snare. Isn't that sweet? Mm-hmm. And she's like, what are you talking about? And I'm here, I'm like, goes, you know? And, and then we, we, we like have that. Yeah. It's that, awesome. Uh, it's an awesome feeling to share that with somebody. Totally. Because there's a lot of presence in there mm-hmm. that you don't realize. And then we start like poking around. It's like, wow, man, production, signal flow. Yeah, at least to, <laughs> at least to have someone entertain it. Yeah. You know, and there's some people that what the other person's doing, they just, it, they're just completely shut off. Yeah. From it. They have no idea. But to be in the audio world, in yeah. the music world, like I've only ever met like one or two people that said they don't really care for music. I think something's wrong with them. They're lying. <laughs> so they're either lying or so something's not right. No, they're so lying. But um, ev- everyone is into music Absolutely. in some way, shape, or form, and some more than others. But to be with somebody that's really into it and to explain it to them, yeah, and have them ask the questions, it's it's really fun because you get to mesh that world of creativity, totally. production. And just like the human spirit. Now I get it the other I get it the other way because she works at the uh, Museum of Contemporary Art, mm. so I go there a lot with her. And then when there's a new show, it's really fun because I'm not an art history background. Um, so when we do walk through some of these exhibits, she'll go through and like really explain things to me. Mm. Not 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 in like a very like heady way, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and I love it. It's really fun. So it is cool. Yeah. So there's an exchange 
where we're both very curious about each other's jobs. Mm-hmm. And we and we don't know enough to even make arguments against each other. So we could both be lying to each other the entire time and mm-hmm. be like, wow, that's so interesting. It is cool. <laughs> it's cool, right? Yeah. I feel the same I don't way. Mind it. I feel the same way. It, it's fun to to be with someone that like know something you don't know. Right. You don't want to be with someone who knows exactly what you know. That's, no. That's the worst. Yeah, you'll totally fight about things. Well, yeah, then you're going to have a hierarchy <laughs> and weigh things against each other and c- yeah. compete yeah. naturally because you're people. Sometimes that's good for people. but You need to have yeah. a breaking point where it's like, yeah. it, we need to be different. Yeah. You need to have opposites. So that's a great balance. That's yeah, cool. Yeah, it's cool balance. That's awesome. But yeah, I, I do have these blank stares very many, many, several times where she's like, are you, and she's kind of, kind of caught an hour, like I'll be doing it. And she's like, okay, I need you to stop thinking about the snare drum, and I need you to take out the garbage. I've asked you three times. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I have not moved. <laughs> That's so funny. Yeah, so while you're listening to music, say you're yeah. sitting down listening to music, Yeah. are you, are you, what are you doing? Are you analyzing? Are you listening to it as a music enthusiast? Are you listening to it as a musician? Are you listening to it as a producer? Are you listening to it as live sound? Like, because you, you've worn five, six, ten different hats in the audio music mm-hmm. world, as I have too. So where do you go? If you were to go home tonight, and put on a record mm-hmm. and sit down and just listen to music. It's, where, where would you be? You know, I feel like I've got it down to where it's all of them. Like I, I it's always the production that really, you know, mm-hmm. uh, perks up my ears. Um, especially if it's something that I just never heard before. Mm-hmm. Um, then I'll like really go down the rabbit hole and start googling away. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Even like if we're having dinner, I just gotta, I gotta know. You yeah, know? Uh, yeah. I'm guilty of that. But, um, but yeah, I, I don't think I ever. I don't get too too critical because you know I didn't work on it. If it's not stuff that I worked on, yes, oof. that's that's the key. If you didn't touch it, it's really yeah. easy to detach. Yeah, totally. But if it's something you anything I've worked on in the same way, I'm just like, why did I do that? Or I, I'm glad I did that. Yeah, you know, mm-hmm. it's cool to. It's getting better. It's getting better. Yeah, I will say this past year, um, it's getting so much. I, my my mixing skills have gotten a lot better. Like, mm-hmm. oh my god, mixing is so hard. Mm-hmm. It's so hard. Mm-hmm. It's the hardest thing to learn mm-hmm. by far. And I feel like I'm finally at a point where I'm like, oh, okay, I don't want to puke when I hear this now. Mm-hmm. I feel okay. Like, I, 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 there's like little things I want to change, and there's always little things. But it's it's it feels good finally. So did you did you start out as just like a recording engineer like mm-hmm. just getting good at capturing stuff yeah. getting it into the system absolutely and then that's that's tough too right that's tough too because then and and you can't have one without the other nor can you learn one and, and then learn the other they're so they're, uh, they're very, they reliant on each other yes so you have to like really understand like okay to get this in a a, a good recording i have to then also remember that this is going to be mixed and I think that like I don't want to separate them because I really never want to track something and be like, okay, well, hey y'all, when we mix this, it's gonna yada yada yada. I kind of just go ahead and just do it, and mm-hmm. it's like this is when you leave the studio, it should actually be already like sixty percent there, mm-hmm. so that when we do mix, it's no issues. It's yeah. it flies. We can get right into like the fun stuff, like signal flow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, to me, I have the philosophy of like a good. A good air quotes song, right? It's like this perfect triangle, where one point of the triangle, this isosceles triangle, is the musicians, the composition. Like, what did yep. they create? Right. The next point is the engineering. How did you? How well did you properly capture? Because mm-hmm. there's many art forms. What kind of mic was it? Up close? Was it off axis? Was it right. far away? Is there room sounds, acoustics, right. everything? Then there's that mixing. Mastering is, to me, is the least necessary one. Yeah, personally. 
It's the one that's used the most. I'm yep. sick and tired of hearing that word. Yeah, I hate mastering. I, I never, I, I would almost say never because I have master stuff, but I just, no. Yeah. I'd rather just like leave it to like a person who does that and that's what they do mm-hmm. and that's their thing. Mm-hmm. And I love that extra set of ears. Mm-hmm. So I've only done it out of necessity. So I've yeah, gotten good at same. it. Yeah. Because I did it for like every session. Everything I've ever done here, I've mastered. So that makes sense. I just, yeah. Just because. Yeah. But if someone else, can do it. if I can pass it. I'm fine with it. I have right. no problem because I have that's the least I'm attached to my gear, whatever. Yep. But um, I'm sick and tired of that word because <laughs> it is always just like, oh, this was remastered. Oh, how is it mastered? Everyone yeah. takes that word and they it's, throw it on, and I'm like, you don't even know how unnecessary. I know. If you're sitting in a room alone and listening to a stereo, you don't need it mastered. Yeah. You really don't. Yep. It, all it does is crunching the numbers. It's just bringing down the dynamics. It's making it less human. Yeah. Humanistic, in my opinion. Yeah. Because an acoustic guitar is not as loud as a drum kit. Right. You know, human voice is not as loud as three guitars blaring. Like yeah. so. Anyway, we can get we can get to that. But yep. yeah, to me, it's this triangle: the composition, musicianship, the way you capture it, and the way it's mixed create this beautiful, strong structure. Yep this this unbreakable structure. So if you can get that right, it's beautiful. And then mastering is just kind of like glitter across the whole thing. Yeah. But um, it's the Sara Lee packaging. Yeah, it's the Sara Lee <laughs> packaging. One when one of those angles isn't correct yeah the whole thing can fall apart it can yeah you know and you know you have to work within your so many things budget and time and which that's obvious but yeah that can that can influence that triangle Mm -hmm. you know what i mean so especially if you're mixing something you did not track and you hear it and you're like oh boy yeah or or you're tracking something and then you did it kind of poorly you send it off and they have mixing like oh like well what about this this and that or wasn't labeled right or like what's this right i just hear like is this a room mic Mm -hmm. like what is that there's Mm -hmm. so many factors and even what the band wants like trying to communicate yep with someone who's a musician but doesn't have the technical verbiage the knowledge Mm -hmm. that experience and some of my best recordings have been with people like that and some of my worst ones yeah have been people that because they didn't know how to even probably convey what they wanted that's always the trick that's the hardest part of this all, all yeah. of all of this is yeah. our our communication yeah yeah i i'm i'm really starting to like figure out what the best route for that is and um i learned the term recently mood board which i guess you know has been around forever i just kind of learned in the business world mm-hmm. you know you make a mood board you make a deck right and uh people will actually before they go into a presentation they'll put these images and anything that like just gives a picture of the idea the vibe of what their concept is and i think that's exactly what needs to happen like a sonic mood board right so anytime anyone ever comes into the studio i just ask them for two things is a, some kind of demo a, a cell phone demo it does not matter because you would not believe even if it's recorded so poorly i can still get the emotion out of it and mm-hmm. i understand what they're trying to do mm-hmm. and so that's really important i can just feel that out the vibe of it it could even be on a cell phone blasting rock but it does not matter mm-hmm. and then you know just some kind of like playlist or a poem even at something mm-hmm. that's just like here or i've even you know sometimes i get the concept of like some bands will have a record uh cover already picked out and I will print that out and just like sit it on the console and it's like this is a reminder of the vibe of this record. Mm-hmm. So as we're like doing things it's like that's not that vibe. This is the vibe, mm-hmm. you know. So vibe is such a silly word but that's that's really what it is. It is. You know? It sets the tone, it sets the mood. Yeah, cuz I I really want to like I really am obsessed about getting in their head. I'm like what are how are you hearing this? Like mm-hmm. what is your like 
ultimate sound in your noggin that's mm-hmm. going on up there. Because you, you, a lot of people have that vision in their head already. And I just need to like get in there mm-hmm. and like, you know, look at them for like an hour before we even record. <laughs> I just stare at them. Stare Yeah. Our, our first, our first <laughs> consultation is just me staring at you. Yeah, yeah. You don't talk. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That, I mean, that can happen then. It can happen along the process. Yeah. Asking the right questions without them Asking even knowing. Questions. You're just kind of like, so what are you doing there? What, what, what are you going for here? Yeah. Why are you doing that? Or yep. what? Where, where was this written? Like, what's tell me the story behind? Oh, I was listening to the lyrics. What, what's going on with that? Even if yeah. it's a scratch vocal, yep. you know, like, oh, what? You know, what's that about? That's yeah. it's pretty heavy, you know, and that can help come up with an idea. And and it helps so much. Not even with like the idea, but like especially drums, right? I I like to talk to bands about how like the tone of your kick and snare will like identify what you're trying to do of any decade, your sound, mm-hmm. right? It, it's it's not even the vocal. It's the freaking kick and snare drum. It tells you everything. Mm-hmm. It tells you like, are you making a Motown record? Are you making a metal record? Are you making whatever? It's all about the freaking kick drum. Mm-hmm. It's wild. Yeah. But I'm like very obsessed with that idea. And so drums is kind of like where it starts for me. It has to be right. Yeah. Like recorded. That's the foundation. It has to be. So, yeah, when drums come in and start, when people start setting up drums to track, it take, it's all about like tuning them and, you know, making sure that they just sound so good. That way when we record, they hear it back and it's like, wow, like I'm so glad we took that time to do that. Do you have a, a mic drum preference for kick drum? Not at all. I switch it every session. That's awesome. <laughs> what do you tend to go between? Well, if it's a more of a vintage sound, I definitely use an AKG D25, which is like, the next step up from the D12. Mm-hmm. It's got this really cool yoke and everything, mm-hmm. which makes it actually really hard to get into a kick drum hole, but yeah. that's okay. <laughs> yeah, they make their mics too big for that. Yeah, they really but they do. sound great. They and do. there's like a really cool mid-range thing that happens with it. And then, yeah, if it's more of like a modern thing, then I'll start going into like, you know, the, the D112s or the M, uh, whatever that, uh, M88. Yeah, mm-hmm. sometimes that's, or 4, 421. I actually, I like, I do not have a, you know, I, I I will say this, this is my own responsibility and I feel kind of bad about it, but you know, sometimes people will rent out my studio and I'll actually like get in there early to like show them around and make sure they're all good to go. Sometimes a lot of engineers will show up there early, like an hour early and set up microphones and before the banding gets there. And that's really good and responsible. I'd never do that because I've just learned that I, if I'd never worked with this drummer, or even know what their drum kit they're bringing in, I literally need to hear how they're playing it Yeah. before, you know, because you, you remember in school, I remember they used to tell you like, you need to like email a drummer and ask what kind of kit they have and all that stuff. No, absolutely not. Mm. Don't do any of that. You literally do not know until you hear them actually playing it. Yeah. That's when I know my microphones. Interesting. And because I know, one, the big caveat, right? What symbols are they using? Mm-hmm. Uh-oh. You know? Yeah. Yeah, that, that gives away a lot of information. Yes. How many times? What are the sizes of them? What are the dimensions? And like, and, and even that, like, we all know what that sounds, but it really differs, like, how the actual drummer is playing them. Yeah, their, their dynamics. Their dynamics. Their taste, what they it go just, for. Yeah, because one, like, I could have two different drummers, and they both have Ludwig kits, a complete, completely different sounds, mm-hmm. you know? So I really do not setting up mics until I'm sitting in the room just hearing the drummer play, mm. which I know maybe is not a, a hot take, but... It's the way you work, though. I, I just have to hear them. It's how it works for you. Yeah. And that's the best part about this type of endeavor, this yeah. job is, it, it still is a very creative one. Yeah. Where it has a very technical application, 
but how it's applied is very creative and, and what you do with it. So like your method is different from mine. My, I even have a different uh, way of doing things because most bands do live sessions here. Yeah. Oh, right, right, right. Instead of albums. I do albums, but it's not as often. Yeah. So I have everything kind of set up to fit the video. So For sure. the things, it's always the same mics. Yep. So it's very, the continuity is very much that, the same. That makes sense. So it's different. Absolutely. So, but I have, even across the continuity, it actually has given me a great, because it's all neutral. Yeah. It's given me a great idea of what, how different things are. Because yep. I always have the same foundation. Yeah. And I could see like, wow, well, yeah. wow, like the 421 sounded this way on that Tom. It's the same rack Tom. Yeah. 14 inches. On a Gretsch Catalina. Different player, though. But then the player, it sounds like so a completely great. different thing. And then they have I love different it. bleed from that symbol because yeah. they're using a Istanbul and it's just a little more dry than this ping ride. And yep. you're just like, huh. That's, that's fascinating. A, that's an amazing, like, kind of a litmus test. Yeah. Yeah. That's really interesting. I never even thought about that. Even even just the 609 on a twin reverb, the the guitar, the player into a guitar, his signal flow again, yeah. into their pedals, into the way they have, you know, the. Um, the, the knobs twisted on yep. it, what they do, that all changes the same $100 microphone. Yeah. And it just sounds completely different every time. Man, I really do think that this is like going to be kind of bad for me to say, but I kind of like struggle with owning a recording studio because when you get into like the gear world, you know, I, I, I tell bands this all the time. I'm like, I actually really do feel like you could use hundred dollar mics and if the band is good it's gonna sound so dope mm -hmm. it just they just do you know mm -hmm. and, and so again kind of like with the drummer thing having them come in before the band setting it up and then that's where the production starts mm -hmm. it's super important because one does the drummer actually know what sound we're going for because sometimes the songwriter has this idea and they've communicated to me but they have not told the drummer mm -hmm. and i'm like oh we're doing this kind of sound they're like oh you know, mm -hmm. I'm like, uh oh, we better swap something, or like, we need to talk about this, mm -hmm. right? Or, 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 or better yet, maybe like the sound they are all going for, they did. The drummer might not realize that you actually have to use a different kind of drum to get that sound, mm -hmm. right? Especially snare drums. That's a really that's big a tricky one. one. Yeah, it's very tricky. Snare is a very tricky. Like one. if someone's like, I want to do a bottom sound. I'm like, yeah, bro, but you have a piccolo snare. Yeah, you know. So we you need to talk about a lot. This. I want yeah. a fat thick snare I'm like your snare is not a fat thick yeah, snare and you did not tune it at all and maybe <laughs> and sometimes like they're going for a sound like you have a metal snare you want a wooden one yep. you want a wooden rim you know? better yet how they hit the snare mm -hmm. right and so uh, if, if I can if I can like tell anybody who is like I'm an up and coming recording engineer what should I learn I would be like learn how to tune drums and just learn everything about drums like Basically, become a drummer. Mm -hmm. If you don't, if you don't become a drummer, that's okay. But like really learn the acoustics of them. Mm -hmm. Like you said, the sizes. Mm -hmm. Learn everything about them. Learn everything about them. All the dimensions, like how, the history of them. Symbols players, too. Symbols. Because that's where it all starts. I'm not joking. When you like really get a good drum sound and symbol, like good symbols are appropriate for mm -hmm. your tracking. Your mixing is so easy because mm -hmm. you're not fixing anything yeah right that's a great point it's like it's you all where it starts can't polish a turd you just can't and you can't make a crappy drum recording sound good it's no, just you can't you just you just can't fix it in post yeah. should never be said again yeah i do not like that and it all starts with that it's like it's not only that it's like learn about drum beaters different types of drum beaters different heads you know different plies of heads mm -hmm. it's 
even though I, I suck at drums. Mm-hmm. I'm so bad at drums, mm-hmm. but I'm so obsessed with them. They're yeah. like, to the point when I talk to drummers and they come in, I'm like, how long have you been drumming for? I'm like, I've never been a drummer. Yeah, yeah. And they're like, what? And <laughs> Why I'm like, do you know I just so have much? to learn this because I can't trust any of you. Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah. Oh my God. Joking, obviously. No, no, you're hitting the But the, the drummers the that head. come in that know that stuff, that know how to tune it, it's like, God, we just saved three hours of the session. And it's going to sound so much better. It's so much better. Yeah, like, I can't say it enough. Your job as an audio engineer is just to take information and make it sound just as good if not better on the other yeah. end but if that signal flow is disrupted by bad input such yeah. as it's out of tune yeah. the dynamics are weird it's literally garbage in garbage out yeah it's gar- you can only do so much and I'll tell you the worst feeling if I can just be like completely honest mm-hmm. is like when you're in the studio and you've like you just like took out a loan for this like super sick mic you know like you spent too much money on it maybe or you're like oh my god it's, it's like five thousand dollars yeah you know like oh my god what am i doing you getting a u87 u47 Some, you, getting? you know anything like that and yeah. then you like set it up in the band that you have recorded and they're just you know that whole problematic situation mm-hmm. and you're just like sobbing so like i just spent so much money. <laughs> <laughs> that's why i don't buy those mics <laughs> i stopped but then that. you have a really good something you know a singer or whatever and you hear it and you're like oh yes yeah i can hear it now yeah you know? so it's a it's a give and take situation, but but you know back into it again. Your your job as a recording engineer is you you are a problem solver. That's all you are. Yeah. Right. So, yeah, that's where it all starts. Where it's mm-hmm. like, okay, like why are you doing rim shots? You don't have to do rim shots. It's okay. <laughs> you know, just hit the snare. I know maybe you do that live, and 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 I have this conversation too, where that's why I love getting bands I've never been in the studio before. Because I feel like it's a really good practice. Because not only do you have to practice your instrument, you have to practice in your band, you have to practice for your live show, you also have to practice recording. It's totally different. Mm -hmm. Especially for drummers, where it's like, yeah, man, you hit those cymbals really hard, you actually don't have to hit them that hard. Mm -hmm. Because they are heightened, Mm -hmm. you know? And so you start to have that conversation, like, they they just really, like, they don't know because they don't have experience. So... I do the second record with them. They're totally new band, and they sound so good. Mm-hmm. And it's like it's a practice that could explain like why so many bands like sophomore records kind yeah. of like exceed the first one. Yeah, know? they learn. They learn a lot. And also, what's really cool is that you were talking about this when you were recording somebody, and you actually are explaining to the band what you're doing. That's super important because one, you feel like you're present together, mm-hmm. and you're working out together. It's mm-hmm. not just you. You don't want the band just like looking over his shoulder, like, what is he doing? Yeah. You know what I mean? I love to explain everything, give out all my secrets. I don't have any secrets. Yeah. I'm just telling everything. Every, even if they're like, okay, cool, Doug, stop talking about <laughs> signal flow. <laughs> you know? Yeah. But it's great to like love them because what happens when they come back in, I actually feel like that influences their songwriting because mm-hmm. they want some bands will be like, we want a really bass heavy record. And we'll have that conversation about like, well, if your songs are actually more mid tempo, and they're more tom based instead of cymbal. You can make it sound so heavy, mm-hmm. and that will actually like influence their songwriting for the next record. Their ideas, yeah. Where they actually kind of be like, I want to make this record really dark and everything, and that will inform them. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So it's really cool to keep talking about that. So, yeah, and you get better at it. You do. I've gotten much better. You get also get better, and you can really just like talking musicians off that ledge. Yep, off that ledge. They yep. want to jump off some ledges sometimes, for sure. and you just kind of like it's okay. Yep, like. No one likes their voice. No yeah. one likes their oh, guitar yeah, lick. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, yeah. it's it's an egocentric thing. Yep. Every musician and what they do, they don't like it. Yep. The bass would be like, oh, that drum was cool. And then the drummer's like, ah, I didn't like it. Yeah. The drummer goes, oh, that guitar line was cool. I don't like the tone. Yep. Guitar player goes, oh, like your that take was great on that, on your vocals there. I don't really like no one likes what they do. Right. Ever. Yep. 
especially when it's something creative, it, it's so personal. Yeah. It's a dark place you have to learn to get past. It's where the classic line of art is never finished. It's abandoned comes Truly. from. Truly. And at the same time in artwork, you have to realize that like audio is not sacred. Mm-mm. It's really important to record it well, but when it gets to that mixing thing, all bets are off. Mm-hmm. I'm like blasting stuff. You, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, especially that's where I love mixing. It's mm-hmm. like, it's just not sacred. You are You have all right to just completely twist it and turn it upside down, yeah. whatever. But as long as it's recorded cleanly, you start there at least. Yeah, you can do whatever you want with it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. When did you start um when did you start mixing more? Like you started getting into capturing sound. Yeah. And then when did you start making that branch like I'm going to start putting it together, blending it? I think as I, I feel like as an actual mixer, it probably happened like 4 years ago, 4 or 5 years ago. Okay. Yeah, where I really started like appreciating that work. And Would you just pass it along to someone else? previous uh, probably not no i think i actually did it but i was always just like upset about it yeah you know? just like what's well, i mean that's how i start know. Right? it's just so like it's hard to listen to some old mm, stuff it's like gut done. punch you know yeah yeah and 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 i i will admit the first couple of records i did but that, that that's the whole process right is that you record your band for free or whatever you know because you're just starting out yeah and that band knows that they are also getting a service for free and maybe that band is like beginner too. Yeah. Right. It's so you're kind of all case. just like figuring it out. Yeah. So maybe it doesn't sound the best, but you're all having a good ass time. Yeah, it's fun. You know? And it's, it's those are the most fun. memorable moments of my life. They are. Those two hundred dollar records. Yep. <laughs> two hundred dollar <laughs> records. Totally. Three hundred dollar records. You're just and you work a hundred hours, you're like, I made three bucks an hour. <laughs> but yeah. you're in it together. Yep. You're figuring it out. You're having fun. You're yep. staying the night. Yep. You're, you're having conversations, at, talking about the future of it. That's where I got really lucky is that when I met you at Columbia, I was already an intern at what was called Minball at the time. Mm-hmm. So, and the exchange was, I would I would show up there, oh man, I think like three or four times a morning. I would get there at like 6 a.m., clean everything, do my homework. And then the owner, Benjamin, would show up and then, uh, you know, he'd have a session and I'd help him in the morning. Then I'd go to school or on the, and then after school, I'll go back there and mm. assist the sessions or on the weekends, whatever. And then, but I could, any free day open, I could bring in any band I wanted to for free. Mm. So it was awesome because I I could bring him in the studio and essentially try things out, you know? Mm-hmm. And that was like the conversation where it's like, hey, I want to record your band but here's the deal. I'm new to this, so it's going to sound wild. Yeah. Right? And, Wild's a good way of saying it. And like, we're going to, like, collaborate, <laughs> and we're going to get it there, but, like, you know, let me do this, and then you also do give me your wild ideas. Mm-hmm. And so it kind of can be in this really fun thing. Like, it's kind of fun to go in there, and, like, all bets are off, and you're just recording your friends, you know? Mm-hmm. And What was the first record you did? Gosh, I don't even remember. I really don't. Um, I, I think there was this... I, I do remember the first thing I ever recorded at the studio, and it was my friend uh, Dave Brown, and he was like a singer-songwriter guy, and yeah, I made like 50 bucks, you mm-hmm. know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it was fun. Like, we essentially like just recorded his songs and went around the studio, and like, let's add this, let's add this, you know? And he got like super drunk. <laughs> How old were you? <laughs> Probably, I think that was, uh, I had to have been like 25. 25, okay. 26, something like yeah. that. Yeah. So... And what what were you doing before that? Before twenty five, uh, just playing in bands. Playing in bands. Okay. Yeah. Are you are you from Chicago? No, I'm from Central Illinois. What, I grew up on a farm. We're at in Central Illinois. So this is like kind of near Peoria. Okay. Do you know Knox College in Galesburg? You ever heard of that liberal arts college? No. 
So yeah, three hours south of here, I grew up on a super tiny, tiny farm in the middle of nowhere. That's awesome. It was crazy. Explains yeah. a lot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I talk a lot because I just like, I had- People? I, I see people. <laughs> I was literally growing up in a farm and my parents were like so obsessed with work that they they didn't really let me like hang out with friends too much. Uh -huh. So like I was just talking to animals. I, I, there's animals everywhere. So yeah. I grew up on a zoo. So I think having pets and stuff and- What kind of animals? Like cattle- uh, pigs, chickens, mm. rabbits, turkeys. Does, does that give you a different dynamic with meat and animals? Sometimes, you know, the the only thing I will say that uh, a lot of the meat actually comes from my parents' farm. So, like, like the actual meat. Oh, okay. So I do eat that, and I feel okay about it. Oh, that's interesting. Because it's it's the actual pig that came from my parents' farm. Yeah. Or, um, yeah, they have a, a a friend that does all that for them. Okay. A, a butcher, and they yeah. take care of all that. So. So did yeah, you did you eat them when you were younger? Yeah, too? Uh -huh. was that weird to like see them grow up and then you? Yeah, eat them? that was heartbreaking at first as a kid. You yeah, know? and there's Whoa. almost like the the blow of it is like intense. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? Especially when like it was your best friend and you find out and they don't tell you. But you know, <laughs> my dad just being so so dark, awfully bad at communicating. He's like, oh yeah, you're. Was he a born raised a farmer too? Yeah, totally. Was his dad too? Yep. Okay, so yeah, he's used to great it. Great grandpa. Great, yeah, it's just kind of like yeah, you eat. Your cattle, like that's what's here, and you know, and that's where it gets a little funky, right? Where it's like there's an argument to be made about um, self-sustainable farms, like they are actually growing their vegetables in the garden, and they're actually eating the meat from their farm, um, and that's the way you're supposed to do it, mm -hmm. you know, or that to their eyes, that's how you're supposed to do it. So, so yeah, it's it's a little bit more ethical in my mind in that way. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, I do eat way less meat than I I used to. That's for sure. Me too. Um, but yeah, yeah, when I go back and visit my parents and, you know, it's, it's a total carnivore. I'm sure thing. it's delicious. <laughs> it is so good. I mean, it's like the best type of stuff you can get. Yeah, totally. And I get, but I still eat, um, all the eggs come from my parents' farm too. That's cool. So I do, I do get loaded up with that every time I go back. So I do and then get we have a bee from farm a friend out there, too. So I have honey and oh, stuff Oh, really? Too. Yeah. So it's nice. Like, like, you know, that, that is a part of me that I will never let go. Yeah. For sure. The identity. So. I, I remember finding out recently, well, it makes sense, but it doesn't to me, yeah. like, that honey is not vegan. Right. And I'm just like, but they just make it for yeah. you, and then they leave. Yeah. And then you can just go grab it yeah. and eat it, yeah. and it's just natural. Like, I don't... Yeah. I guess. Yeah. It isn't animal... If, are bees animals? I don't know. I'm cool. <laughs> totally cool. I'm trying to, like, figure out how to get more towards, like, a plant-based diet, yeah. you know? But, yeah, vegan... That's so, just too much work for me, honestly. Not to be a cop out about it, but no, I I I think you should have a good balance. I eat so much less meat. I mean, yeah. I grew up eating it yeah. a lot, and the last couple of years was you know twice a day eating it. Yeah. Now I've gotten it to probably two or three times a week. Yeah, maybe Same. twice a week, yeah. not a lot. Yeah, it's usually like a, a weekend. Yeah, totally. It's, weekend. it's gonna be like a Alaskan salmon or something. Totally. You know, I usually only have steak like once every couple of weeks. Yeah. Now I used to have it all the time, so. There's so many avenues if you just do your, you got to do your homework. You have to yeah. educate yourself. It takes time. It does. Yeah. And it's not necessarily more expensive. I've been saving money by not getting meat. That's the biggest thing is you kind of have to learn the like ways of keeping it in your budget. Yeah. You know what I mean? And that means like where do you shop? Where do you, you yeah. know what I mean? So. There's a lot of protein supplements or protein substitutes yeah. that are plant-based that you can combine a bunch together and it's cheaper than a steak. Yeah. Cheaper than wild Alaskan salmon. That yep. stuff's not cheap at all. Yep. Shrimp. These things are not, they're very expensive. Yep. So 
I've been saving like 30, 40 bucks a week by not eating all this meat. Totally. And still having great benefits. And now when I do have it, it's so much better. Yeah. I appreciate it more. I, I actually like appreciate that animal and everything. When I when I do eat it yep. less, you know, it's just better. And it's been, I've learned a lot more about eating like plant-based stuff, vegetarianism, veganism. Not fully, I'll probably never be a full-on vegan. Yeah. But I would like to get it, you know, from a better source. For it's, sure. It's hard. That makes total sense. And I think I, I have to credit that um, my girlfriend, Melissa, is a, she's mostly, she's like 99% vegetarian, you know? Yeah. We, but we also like, you know, eat some fish once in a while. But she's a really good cook. And I I will be completely honest, I hated cooking. I just, it did not do a thing for me. I never got interest into mm-hmm. it. Um, you know, my mom's cooking growing up was like, okay, you know, sort of like fine. And, um <laughs> And then, you know, and this, like, idea of, like, it needs to have meat in it to be a focus of, like, a good dinner or yeah. something silly, you know? And then she has really blown my mind as far as, like, you know, different salads, different pastas mm-hmm. and everything. And mm-hmm. uh, that I've really learned a lot about. So it's, it's cool, She's, right? like, teaching me simple things or even just how to chop a damn onion, yeah. you know, properly. Yeah. I didn't know any of that stuff. Yeah. And I, it's so weird to, like, admit that. But, but if you're not taught it, you're not taught it. If you didn't if you're not learn, you didn't it. learn. Like, what are you going to do? Yeah, and I think there's also, like, a good side to that. We can kind of get into this is that, like, when you get a little older, you start to learn that there are some things you have to keep this, like, work-life balance in check where it's, like, you know, working really hard but also making sure you get you get home at a good time to give yourself time to learn how to cook mm-hmm. and to actually cook. And, not and just enjoy like go, that food. And enjoy food. Instead of, like, I got to scarf it down because I have to keep working. Exactly. Or, yeah. like, feel like you need to go through the drive-thru or something like that. Yeah. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. that's that's a really slippery slope because, you know, I catch myself sitting in a chair for many hours sometimes. And if you just keep up that habit, I just felt bad inside. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And it was like, oof, like, I've been like staring at this computer for a while, mixing or something, and I'm like, ew, I just, I just don't feel good. Yeah. So you gotta get out. Gotta get out, and you know that that's one thing that I think the 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 shutdown really kind of brought to me was that, um, yeah, it's it's so good to make sure that you're giving yourself time to actually prep a meal mm-hmm. and eat it, mm-hmm. and not yet, like you said, not just scarfing it down. Prep it, so, eat it, take yeah. care of it. Leftovers are key. Make sure you got some solid leftover. You know, containers. That's funny. I never have leftovers. I make what really? I eat. I oh. eat it and I'm done. And I yeah. then I make every meal fresh. So it's I like, love leftovers. I never do leftovers. I have like PTSD. It just reminds me <laughs> of my mom and dad. Just like, well, we're gonna have this stew for the next week. And you're yeah. just like, oh. but there's some things like a curry, <laughs> a curry that's yeah. been sitting in the fridge yeah. for a while. You're like, oh yeah, this like went up a lot. I level. guess it depends on what it is. Yeah. Because if you're making like some type of Asian dish that has yeah. a, like a curry like that. Yeah. Where something you make a lot of it, yeah. and you just keep using it with different combinations of sure. vegetables and rice, that makes sense. Yeah, that's yeah. the The vegan, vegetarian lifestyle and dish making is a very new thing to me. So, yeah. someone I'm seeing is pretty much like that, and yep. she is a cook just like what you were saying. So yep. she makes a lot of that stuff, and it's been awesome. Yeah. Learned a lot. I've had flavors, mostly Asian stuff, I've never had before. Same. I'm just like, yep. whoa, what is this? Absolutely. <laughs> it's cool. It's fun. Yep. And it's an activity, just like sitting down and talking is mm-hmm. an activity. Sitting down and listening to music is an activity. But now you can listen to music, talk, make food, yeah. share together, and it's all like one, it's it's like what makes life worth living. And it it's really so helps your simple. relationship out too. Yeah, it does. It's pretty it Makes you connect key. a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'd yeah, say yeah. a lot. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and it doesn't have to be this like bougie thing. It's no. just that like you're just present and yeah. just having a conversation. Well, it's yeah. an active effort. Like yeah. you chop that, I chop that, we put it together. It's something right. you made. 
again, always the glue to it is you got music playing. Yeah. Like who? Wine also helps too. Wine is always a part of it. <laughs> wine, wine is. I mean, I've always loved wine, but Same. a glass or two with yeah. a meal, great, <laughs> totally. It doesn't have to be expensive wine. I'm a no, cheap date, ten bucks, honestly. exactly. Five bucks. I don't even know. I I am such a bad gauge of wine. I don't know anything about it's it. Same. It's called Pinot. Yeah, I'll take that. <laughs> I uh, downloaded an app too that like you kind of just take a picture of it and it tells you if it's good or not. And I'm like, this is crazy. It's the Who's Barometer. Like, it's like tons of people. It's like a Yelp for oh, wine. Oh, I see. Right? And they all like submit their little star oh, God. rating. I can't so, imagine what yeah. that's like. Just don't read the comments. Yeah, yeah I was right? just going to yeah. say. Just oh. look right at the, the star. Well, you know, the Okie afterbirth. Exactly. <laughs> it's great. But you know what's really funny is that we can poke fun at those people tasting wine. But like that to me is no different. Than being like, yeah, I want my album to sound exactly. adjectives. It's That's like, why I'm being I'm being facetious because I just do it with coffee. Right? Oh yeah, totally. you saw me making a pour over V60, yeah. my second one of the day. It was yeah. only 10 a.m. Yeah, it's like yeah, I get it. Yeah. I'm just being goofy because at the end of the day, I love wine. I love I love like oh this cilantro mixed with this onion and that yeah. spice. Like it's it's whatever's relative to what you prefer. Totally. And the same thing with music. I can be very anal about the sound system yep. where it's placed. The, the equalization of it yep. based on the acoustics of the room yep. where someone else is like, oh, let's just put that app together. We all plug our phones in and just totally. do that thing. Yep. And I'm just like, oh my God. <laughs> so it really is relative to you and that's important to remember instead yep. of judging or labeling people. Right. Just be like, oh, that's just their thing. That's just their thing. As long as, they're, as, long as you're nice yeah. about it. Just modest. Keep, modest, keep nice. Modest. Yeah. It's all that matters. I don't really care yeah. what you're into, what you do, as long as you're just not overbearing and pushing it. Yeah. That's a big problem with the veganism is, is the pushing of yeah. anything. So why are you pushing? Like, it's a process. Yep. If, because it hasn't been pushed on me, like, she didn't push it on me. Yeah. She was like, I don't care if you meet. Yeah. It made it easier. Like, oh, exactly. I could just yeah. have take my time with this transition of just yep eating less meat yep. and not feeling like under this weird microscope of like, oh, I can't eat meat around it's you. It's also just communicating. It's like, it's like, okay, we can both exist, but here's what I need from you and, mm-hmm. and here's what I need to do so we can work on this together. Absolutely. So like, maybe like, you know, keep your stuff in over there and I'll keep my, whatever you need to do. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? So, whatever worked. It's a symbiotic relationship. Yeah, totally. And, but kind of getting to that point about, you know, especially recording, yeah, the, the modesty of it is really important because we're talking about like, you know, learning how to mix and all that stuff. You know, I think you can be a really good mixer. Awesome. But you have to also be super patient in that, you know, if somebody has an idea and they're like, we want to try this out, you can't sit there and be like, that's stupid. You know what I mean? You'll never say that. You just got to try it. You and can think it. <laughs> yeah, you can think it. For sure. That's fine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, I'll just say it out loud. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I, I have had times where someone's idea was so bad. I'm yeah. just like, like, you'll know this one. The classic, like, trying to make things stereo yeah. by, like, shifting, doubling and shifting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Pretty much making it out of phase. Yeah. And that's like 101. You learned that a long time yeah. ago. Yeah. And you're just like, that, that's not how you do it. Yeah. We can try other things. We try different delays, but yeah. you're never going to get it in stereo unless you recorded it in stereo right. with a stereo pedal right. and the two amplifiers, mic them, pan them hard left, hard yeah. right. Yeah. And it's just stuff like that. You're like, you got to find ways to be like, yeah, I, I could figure something out. And right. you, 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 sometimes you even just like do a white lie. Yeah. Like, yeah, I did that. And you do it and like, oh, cool. And really you just put like a, like a, a plug in that's like a stereo delay sure and it's just like slightly delayed yep. by you know 30 milliseconds yep. you get, it just widens it a little bit mm-hmm. that's all you can really do but then there is times when i've learned to check myself when the idea it's not really a bad one it's just different from what i thought yeah so i have to go like okay let's try it yeah and you try it and then they either it sounds better or it sounds worse or it sounds just different enough to where that's what they wanted yeah but sometimes 
my favorite is when you know ideas like probably not a good one. It's probably not going to work. So you entertain it knowing that they're not going to like it, and then you get to just prove yourself right without saying anything. That's great. Yeah, let's try it. And then you do it, and you're like, oh, never mind. Like, you, in your you, head, you go, yeah, that's what I thought. You, you have to because if that person is sitting there afterwards and just like, I really – he, they, they don't feel heard. You know yeah, what I mean? And yeah. they also like – they just have a big question mark. Where it's like, I know I want to try that, and they didn't do that. I, that you know what I mean? I don't want yeah. that weirdness to happen. You I just want them to leave that. happy. But there are so many know. times that I, I've had that suggestion and tried it, and I was like, oh, that was a great idea. Totally surprised. Absolutely. And, and being willing to admit that, right? Mm-hmm. Just get your ego out of there and just like really listen to it. Like, mm-hmm. oh, that's awesome. You but know? that's why you're here now. Right. Like yeah. if you weren't doing that stuff, yeah. you wouldn't continue to be successful in what you're doing. Yeah. Because a lot people of would stop, they wouldn't talk about you. The person wouldn't send another person your way. Right. You know, how many bands come through a referral from yeah. other people? Uh, it's all of it. Most of it. Yeah. I'd say for me at this point, it's 97%. Absolutely. It's, it's when I try to get like a band I really want to work with or someone yeah. to come in for a session, yep. I'll reach out to them. But most of the time, it's just people it's friends. coming in. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I saw this. Yep. I heard about that. I saw this on Instagram. It's that's yeah. just how it works. They, you just get a, you get, it, they are your business card. They're yeah. vouching for you. Exactly. You know what I mean? So you, you have to be cool about it. You have to be open. Yeah. And I think that was a funny thing about the studio too, is that, you know, going to a lot of shows in Chicago, especially like basement shows mm-hmm. and stuff, um, there is that culture of like, you know, we want to keep it raw and punk and, you know, in a basement and that energy. And then when I took over the studio, I think it was like scary for a lot of bands because they're like, oh, but this is like a legit studio. You know, and I'm like, yeah, but it's like, it's DIY as it gets, baby. I'm the only person here. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? It's just yeah. you and me. You know, yeah. and it's like, don't be fooled by like all of this. It's it's gonna sound great. Yeah. You know, and so I think once I was able to start recording some of my favorite bands that you know mostly play these under uh, you know these basement shows that yeah. circuit you know DIY whatever you want to call it. Um, yeah, a lot of bands you've recorded, I've worked with too. Here. They've got they've got to like get that trust out of you first, mm-hmm. and then once you kind of like get through that, then you know, all bets are off. It's great. It's, yeah. it's super cool. So, yeah, your studio is kind of like in this middle ground. It is in the middle ground. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's yeah. not not as DIY as that basement. Yeah. You know, but it's also not super slick like CRC or something. Yeah. I've been yeah. in other places where yeah. I'm like, it's like, this is yeah. awkward for me. Yeah. This studio has a vibe for sure. Oh, yeah. I yeah. like it. It's like a living room almost. It really is. Yeah. How did you come about finding your way there? So, the uh, I had a musicology professor at Columbia. Uh, his name's Nate Bauckham, and I became really close with him and really started having these like, conversations with him in his office, actually, and, like not even in class, just where I was like, I don't know, like here I am in college doing music composition. And I was like, I just don't see myself being a, a college, like a, a professor for composition. I respect that. It just, I didn't feel like it was like my thing, mm-hmm. you know? And I'm like, oh no, I feel like I might've made the wrong decision, you know? Mm-hmm. And he was like, asked me like, well, what do you want to do? You know? And I always told him, I was like, I was like, I just love making music with people and producing essentially is what I was yeah. talking about. I didn't really know that was like the term for it. Yeah. And that, and he was like, well, my, my best friend, Benjamin, he also studied music composition, but he owns a recording studio and you should just talk to him about this. Cause you guys have very similar backgrounds and he might be able to give you some kind of information to like you know, exhaust your fears, so to speak. So I did an email and I met up with them in the studio. I'd never been there before. And we chatted for like four hours just mm. about life, about music, about like, you know, philosophical ideas in life with yeah. music, you know? So and he's like, you should totally intern here. I was like, okay, great. So me and a couple, of, like this guy named Norman, we were kind of the first interns there. 
it was awesome. He and he gave me free reign. He's just like same thing. He just gave me a fifty seven. Was like just plug in anything. You're not going to break anything. Just, this is that jam deck? Does that jam deck? Yeah, it used to be called Minball. Right. And I met so many bands through just that work of just assisting so many sessions. And what's so key about this is that it was not just his sessions. I assisted everyone's sessions. So so many different engineers. So I saw how their process was. Mm. You know. And um, I learned what to do and I learned what not to do. Yeah. You know, how not to talk to people. Yeah. And then I really learned how to talk to people. And I learned just like so many different ways to mic things and I would hear it. And so I got to take every little bit of my favorite pieces of their work and combine it into my own. Mm. And I love that about that experience. It's, it's wise. So it's wise cool. to learn from other people. And you just, you connect with those engineers, you know, and you, and you become friends with them. And then that's where it starts, you know, where it's like, okay, they're getting busy and they'll start throwing you work because they're like, well, I met this weirdo Doug who is telling me he wants to record music like this and I feel like he might know what he's doing. Mm -hmm. Probably not. But here's a band that's also new. You should go work with him or, you know, and that's kind of where it started. And I was also doing live sound. Yeah. At, like, I've seen you at, at um, I don't remember what venues. Empty um, Bottle for sure. Empty Bottle for sure. Yeah. Yes. Actually, yeah. you might have done sound for one of my I, bands. I think so. Said, yep. Right? Totally. Yeah. yeah. Was it? It, it was it, it was, was years Wilshire ago. at Dent Bottle. Oh, yeah, that's right. March 2013. How do you remember that? That's I have impressive. A <laughs> Man, that's so good. I it's, wish I had that kernel of that memory. It's, it's a problem because when your memory is like that, then everything becomes. No, it's not a problem. It's great. It becomes very. It becomes more. Uh, you put more value to it than anybody else, <laughs> yeah. and no one cares about dates and times. Yeah. the way that a memory like mine is. I don't even know what you call it. But it's a problem yeah. sometimes because it, it makes it can make me very anxious. Oh, I when see, I'm I see, like, I see, I see. well, you, why don't why don't you remember that? Yeah. So to me, oh. I'm like, everything is significant. I'm so bad about. And that to everyone stuff. else, it feels like nothing is significant. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, yeah, I, I do remember information it. overload. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the date thing. But yeah, live sound actually helped that, right? <laughs> yeah. If you're like into live sound, I, I met a lot of bands too, and I would like talk to them afterwards, you know, and just blatantly be like, hey, I really like your band a lot, you know, and then. Maybe not pop the question there. If you, maybe you can if you're busy or not busy. I'm sorry. But maybe you go see them again and be like, hey, remember I did live sound for your show. You know, I'm an intern at the studio. I can record you for free. Mm -hmm. Have you recorded anything yet? No, cool. Let's just try this out. If it doesn't mm -hmm. work, cool. You, nothing happened where no one was hurt. You, know, yeah. you didn't lose anything. Yeah. So that's kind of how it started. So. Okay. So you did live sound for around, a lot and, around Chicago. Yeah. I also have to debunk this whole idea of like, because I've heard this before. And since we're talking about this, it's really important to get it out there. This whole idea of like, I'm a recording engineer. I've never had to do live sound. Dude, no. No, 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 no. Mm -hmm. Do live sound. I love it. I did it's, it on Saturday. It's <laughs> I, I did it at a wedding. Someone's like, you want to admit? I was like, sure. But it's like experience. there's this weird pompous idea of some recording engineers I meet where they're like, oh yeah, I've never had to dupe down to being a live sound engineer. I think like, they're both important. They are super important. But they all they also Doing live sound has made me so fast as a recording engineer, mm -hmm. so fast. Mm -hmm. And I learned so much. So my boss at the bottle was a boss at the bottle, <laughs> at boss at the empty bottle, I should say, mm -hmm. Elliot Dix, mm -hmm. amazing person. One of the best human beings I've ever met mm -hmm. in my life. Like so influential. Was he a live sound engineer too? Oh yeah. Cool. And he tours with like, you know, he's the main touring front of house for like Tortoise. Oh, cool. And a lot of really big bands. And he, his like ideas of, workflow and signal flow and everything is so punk it's beautiful <laughs> so he kind of like sets you up in these situations where you're like you know putting in these chords and he's like oh yeah i rewired them myself so they don't 
work how you, you he gives you so many variables that you have to really know your stuff to like make it work mm-hmm. and it's like covered in duct tape but it's awesome because you really learned the hard way yeah and you don't get this like nice you know everything's working everything's clean and labeled it's just not like that that's cool and it's not like that in the real world no, you know it's not. Mean? So no, it's not like doing DZ Fest has taught me that. Like you, yeah. like knowing everything inside and out, you, it's not as pure and clean as you think. Like yep. the facade is that it is. When people show up, yep. they're like, "Oh, this is so well done and sleek." It's like you don't understand. And that that whole learning curve is so important because when you're recording a band, right, and you're setting up and blah blah blah, and you're just like, "Oh my God, channel ten is not working." Mm-hmm. It's okay because there's 24 channels. Yeah, you go just to use 11 or like and then after the show or tomorrow figure out. Figure it out. It's, it's no probably a bad connection. Big, it's or maybe it's probably something you just it's a button. Yeah, you missed sometime. it. It's no big deal. It happens all yeah, the time. Yeah, it's really no big deal. And yeah. um you know as as a studio owner, I have freelance engineers come in there all the time. Sometimes they'll call me freaking out and I'm like, "Hey, it's it's okay. It's no big deal." You know what I mean? Just go to the next, just use the next XLR cable. Yeah. Just use the next patch cable. It could be so many things. Just mm-hmm. don't worry about it right now. Just move on to the next best thing. You know, no so how, how did you go from intern to owning Jam Deck? Yeah, so... Or Mimball into Jam Deck. Yeah, yeah. How'd that happen? So this happened... <clears throat> I remember I was actually like mixing a band and the owner came in and he would probably like hate for me to explain this story, but he shut the door and he was and and the band had to leave because he needed to talk to me privately he needed to tell me right then and there it's like uh, you know intense and i thought like oh my god i'm being fired yeah oh because i should tell you he made me studio manager so i was doing all the bookings okay and, and everything so I, I had this like responsibility of things you know um and he's just like can you put on some music i just i just don't want anyone to hear okay like what is this gonna happen no one's gonna hear you we're in a control room. <laughs> i mean it was crazy <laughs> and like and then yeah he's just like yeah so I'm moving myself and my family to LA and you're going to buy the studio. And I'd never, I've never owned anything. I've never had responsibility like that before. So obviously I'm just like, dude, there's no way. Like, I'm not your guy. That's ridiculous. Yeah. You know? And he's just like, no, you're, you're going to do it. If you don't do this, I'm, I'm just going to like sell the, pe- the parts and pieces. So I'm pretty much giving you an ultimatum you, and pretty much telling you have to do this. You're the only one I trust you to do this, basically is what he told me. Because... We worked so much together that I think he really wanted to keep the um, the concept of the studio going and like the, just the, the vibe, right? The V word. And so, um, so yeah, I had to meet up with him a bunch and figure all this out. It was crazy, you know? Mm-hmm. There's just no easy way of going about that. Getting a lawyer, him getting a lawyer, our lawyers talking, um, taking out a giant loan that was insane. But whatever, I was been through college, so... Taking out big loans is no, <laughs> yeah, big news that's to college me. already. Yeah, so, yeah, that's so, cool. Yeah, wow. And then, and then yeah, and then I was already doing the booking, so he he'd already kind of like prepped me for it. I think maybe, maybe he, he knew. No, I think he did. He did. Yeah. How long is he? Was he doing that for? Uh, owning the studio. Mm-hmm. So actually, if you want to continue it from Minball to Jam Deck, it's been open for over ten years now. Okay. So, so he he had a lot of experience. <clears throat> he had a lot of experience, and he yeah. kind of came out of like. A few studios, but I would kind of say that he came out of the Soma studio, so John McIntyre's studio. Okay. So, Jam Debt or Minball at the time was always kind of like teased as like the the little Soma because it was literally built very similar to Soma, and then a lot of the same musicians came through. They shared a lot of the engineers, mm-hmm. um, and then once Soma closed, it was sort of like all that clientele mm-hmm. sort of like kind of came over there. So. Um, I love those. I love the, like the studio you have. 
there's so like little hidden gems. Like you, if you drove past there, you would, you'd be like, that's an abandoned building and just keep going. Yeah. Yeah. You like that's know. definitely a drug front. Yeah. For you sure. You never know. Yeah. You know what just hit my noggin? It was August 2015. It was the Peekaboo show and I was recording it and I asked you if I could unplug oh, the patch God. bay and split it. That's And right. it wouldn't affect you because I had the transformer splitters and you're so, like, you were kind of nervous about this it. This is a great <laughs> reason where I can bring up Elliot and bring up this, where I can merge this together. Okay. So you look at that, you look at that snake, right? And yeah. you're like, okay, one through 24, right? Yeah. But that's not right. It's one, 27, 24, three, five. It's Why just, was it such a hot mess? I think because like especially for like, it's the empty bottle. But see that's like, this a, isn't just some place. But man, that's the that's the rep of the bottle. Like you could like, just put a new snake on there. Like they could buy it in one night from I the know, sales. But that's just not the fun of it, you know? <laughs> they it's like they like they installed all that stuff. It's so much easier to keep it there and just put some tape and write a number over it uh, and you just have to fly with so that. So funny. And and it it is so stressful. Especially because it wasn't a digital board. Yeah. It is it was an Allen Heath. Is it now? It is now. Okay. I like but, the digital board. Yeah, I, I learned hardware. everything, hardware, all, no digital, nothing in that venue. That's awesome, though. And so, you know, when you would have a, a touring live sound engineer come in, and they would use so many channels and so many, you'd have to, like, move their channels off the snake into down to your uh. next channel. So, like, I had responsibility of, like, setting up everything very quickly, and maybe I got, like, a 20-minute sound check, and writing down all of my, like, changes between sets of where my mic inputs would go. Yeah. And that's their, God. That's a mess. That's a signal flow mess. That that place gave me so much anxiety. I can't imagine. And also, what's we don't even do this, but like, you know, we even talked about where the freaking console was in that venue. Yeah. It's like, you might as well mix out of the bathroom. Yeah, it's not a good it's position. It's awful. It's bad. That, that layout, it's iconic. Yeah. But my God, is that a bad layout for audio? But I will, I will be very honest with you that... Uh, working there made me a really solid live sound engineer because you were dealt with so much, so many uh, trouble, some issue, like the everything, like, yeah. like, right? You'd have to like mix it and then run out to that like wooden floor because mm-hmm. the whole PA points mm-hmm. a whole different direction. I remember you doing that. And <laughs> like all these things. And so, you know, what was kind of fun about that is that if you ever, if I were to continue on or some of my best friends that still work there, but they have also gone on to like work with huge bands. It, it's kind of funny, like people ask, like, oh, duh, duh, you know, where, where, where have you done live sound at? And then you'll tell them that you did so many years at the bottom, and, like, you're instantly hired because, like, okay, you've dealt with everything mm-hmm. horrible situation possible. Mm-hmm. We know you're like primed for it, right? And I think, I think Elliot would hate for me to say this, but I think he just does it on purpose. He just like he throws it at if you, you, whisper, he won't hear it. Yeah, <laughs> I think he really does. I think he just throws you in these crazy situations mm-hmm. and just like pushes your limits. So that way, when you actually go on to do something, you're like, I got it. I, I, I'm I so actually, chill. I respect that a lot. Yeah, I, I, I treat out of necessity, but I also treat like the, the live sound engineers when we do DZ Fest the same yeah. way, where I don't, I give them the bands that are playing, but yeah. I don't tell them their setup. Yeah. So they'll, I don't, dude, there's two drummers on this next band. Yeah. I got, 30 minutes. Yeah, totally. To, and I'm like, yeah. And get, and like, I was talking to my friend Trevor. He does live sound at DC yeah. Fest. And we were talking about it yesterday. And he's like, yeah. And then Ben throws two drummers at me. And I tell him like, hey, but now your threshold's way up here. So everything underneath that is a joke. Yeah. Now when you go to record a drummer or do sound for you, it's like, yeah, that's easy. Totally. I had to do improv two drummers in the middle of a 95 degree day in front of everybody. Yeah. With zero time or yeah. prep. And now like, so it's like, I almost do it on purpose. Like I don't tell them everything. Yeah. Like, these are the bands. These are the times. And they have to like, 
figure it out and it makes everything so sharp yeah so cute so on top of stuff it sets your bar so high yeah and now like your bar was set so high at the yeah because it is a very difficult place to mix properly at it's not like sitting at shuba's right or lincoln hall where you're like directly in front of it the perfect yeah two-thirds back just totally. like just perfect small and, and also learning to like we talk about again like communication with bands you learn that very quickly mm-hmm. especially you know not to get too technical about this but like getting in like you know the world of like monitor mixing you know especially when they don't have a separate monitor mixer and you have to mix the monitors too mm-hmm. and you're standing behind the console and you can't hear what they're hearing mm-hmm. so you know you get that world of like yeah uh, it just sounds weird up here you know that's like the classic phrase and it's like mm-hmm. well what do you mean by that you know and so they don't have the verbiage yeah so you just kind of have to like fly with that and learn you know even if you need to walk up there and hear it too which is nice now when you get like digital with like the ipads you can actually walk up there and like take the order like it's a food order yeah it it is pretty amazing that's insane it's really but i'm really glad i I kind of like started not in that Mm -hmm. and then got into it slowly but by that time i had just become a recording engineer so i don't do live sound anymore do you perform Often, like, do have you performed at shows in the last few years? I did a lot. I was in a band called Courtesy, and we did quite a bit of, uh, like, yeah, last uh, two years ago, I guess. We did quite a few shows. Do you but, find yourself, now that you have all that experience, yeah. when you are on the other side, on yeah. stage, do you find yourself being really knowing what to say, what not to say to the engineer? Absolutely. What I have found what to is, ask for. is I just don't, I'm like, it's fine. Yeah. I've learned like, it doesn't matter. I just needed the drummer and guess what? Yeah. I can hear him because I'm right next to him. Yeah. I don't need anything. Yep. I'm not even going to bother the engineer with anything. Like, worry about the singer. Yeah. They are the one who needs it. I feel like I I'm care. not that chill. I just, I feel like I've learned how to ask for things in a very polite and, and like a, a poignant way, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And even use the right words for them. Though. Like, oh, like, just to, you could take that out and maybe just make it like three decibels louder. Yeah. Just that type of instead of going, make it a little louder. Yeah. Or like, ah, it's too quiet. Yeah. Like that that's so subjective. Or even like I don't even like get up there and be like, can you take out two hundred or something? I just be like, Can you can you like scoop a little bit of the low mids out? Yeah. And no, no matter who the live sound engineer is, they they know that. Yeah, least, they know what that know, means. So I'm a big fan of like I've been so much on that other end. Yeah. That I don't even want to ask them for something. And yeah. I'd rather have the singer. People who really need to hear, hear it. Yeah, I'm playing bass or guitar. It's like, yep. man, I understand the psychology behind this. If I have an amp on stage, I can hear it. Yep. And if I know how to, if I practiced, which I have with the drummer, that's all I need. Yep. I don't need to hear the singer for cues. I don't need any of that. Yep. So if I can clean up this performance up here yep. by having less stuff in the wedge and yeah. it cleans up the acoustics yep. into the room, I'd rather give a better performance for us as a band than worry about what I selfishly need. But um, not everyone thinks they would. They want to like be present in that performance, yeah. and I rather just give the best performance for the crowd and the person. For the sure, singer. it's always the singer. That's the hardest thing to get yep. right. Totally, they're trying to hear their voice acoustically back at them. Yeah, it's not easy. And right now we're in like an age where like everyone wants reverb out the wazoo for their voice. You know, I'm like and no uh, reverb in the monitor. Yeah, what are you doing? I know, that's the it one. will exist out there. I promise you. I know, and that's that's the tough one where, you know especially when you get into, I think the biggest part of the empty bottle, the, the hardest thing was when someone would bring a um, effects processor mm-hmm. for their vocal, instant feedback, no matter what. Mm-hmm. It's just like, it was just impossible. Mm-hmm. Like And like to like explain to someone, like, I just, I can't do that. Unless they like, have a clean dry, do they have that? No, like no. it's that darn boss pedal, that red one. <laughs> that thing has ruined my life. I want to throw those out. Whoever invented that thing. <laughs> It's just the... I tell you, Emboss invented it. Yeah. Emboss makes like 10% of their products are amazing. Yeah. Another 90% I'm like, eh, 
And there's better ones out there that, you know, yeah. are great. But yeah, that one in particular, something about like the hot signal coming out of it, it just has made my life just horribly yeah. bad when doing live sound. I tell singers that when I see that they do that, I say, yeah. all right, do you play anything else? They go, no, Mike, your one job is to be a good singer yep. and to have, that's your one instrument. Yep. So you buy yourself a good mic, yep. like a real good one, a good XLR cable, yep. buy yourself a $100 Mogami Gold cable, yeah. and buy yourself a really, really, really nice vocal processing yep. uh, pedal or machine because your guitar players and drummer spent all this money. Yeah. So if you're going to want to fit into that level with them and yep. actually make it worth the engineer's time and their time, then get the good, don't buy a $120 one yep. and or expect it to be magical. Like, put in the effort. Yeah. You know? Or just like, honestly, that, and I feel like what you're talking about is like when you're a really controlled singer. Like yes. some singers, like, I know the reverb I want. Yes. I don't want to leave it up to the live sound yes. engineer, which I, I get, but there has to be some kind of like leeway, right? What you're saying about that. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, if you do have an idea, then trust the live sound engineer that yeah. they're going to like get Convey the reverb right. Yeah. Absolutely. So, and there, that's going to sound way better than the pedal. 100%. Yes, it that. is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's so funny. I love hearing these things because I have very few people in life I can relate to Vent. on all these. Like, because <laughs> we've had countless shows here in the yeah. basement, and we have a, like a legit live sound set up with legit control over each yep. individual monitors X thirty two. The people who run it went to Columbia for live sound reinforcement, yeah. mm -hmm. so it's like it's it's a very legit DIY thing. And we always run into those issues, but we have a good way of Trevor and uh, people. Other people who have helped have a really great way because they're also musicians right. and they've worked with me. So they know the language, and they just say, like, we can't have reverb in the monitors, but yeah. I guarantee it will be through the, the mains. Right. It'll help with your feedback. Yeah. It'll be more controlled and sustained. If you want, just communicate. Yep. Just tell me whatever you need. I'll add more of it. I'll have I'll short delay, long delay, reverb. I'll control it all. And they're really, because they're musicians, they know what that means, and they're really good at playing with when the singer has a long arch of just, like, oh, they're, like, mess with that and they'll yeah. play the, the they'll yeah. play the extra two like out. an instrument yeah and it's cool and it's totally. and the singers always because eventually it gets so big and loud that you'll mm -hmm. hear it coming through yeah. the room and you're like oh wow that did sound great i did yeah. hear the reverb totally. okay and then it eases the pain you know it eases and the I, frustration I, I would even like say i don't know if this is like right to say this but like you know as a vocalist no matter what band you're in you should really try to practice your vocals dry absolutely right and then all the effects are just great afterwards. But I, I, I'm afraid that um, a lot of bands, when they're practicing, they just juice it with reverb. And like, cool, sounds great. It makes me sound good. And then you go to record, and you record their vocal, and they're like, ooh, I'm so pitch. It's like, well, yeah, you need, you need to really, you know, sit through, practice it. Mm -hmm. No different than the guitar player, no different than the drummer, yeah. especially the drummer. You yeah. Know? So, yeah, I, I do kind of think there is this, like, sort of lackadaisical vibe going on with vocalists right now mm -hmm. where they just kind of do it and they're like, how was it? And I'm like, well, how much better can we make it? You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and not rely so much on effects to supplement that. So. Yeah, and effects enhance. Yeah. You know, they they take what is already good and make it great. And that's something when people are like, ooh, that vocal was a little weird. Do you just bury it in reverb? It'll be fine. It's like, well, that's not how it works. <laughs> <laughs> you know? So I am, that, that's another thing I've learned through being a recording engineer is how, you know, we, we talked about like learning drums. I'd say the second most important thing is learning, go take lessons, vocal lessons, and learn the the um, anatomy of singing mm -hmm. and breath support. Absolutely. Um, because that's another thing was when I'm recording a vocalist, 
learning breath support and learning how to get that sound and like suggesting or working with them, they will thank you so much because that's that's a huge helper that a lot of people maybe haven't like taken those lessons or understand the breath support or, you know, maybe like don't take a breath here, but take a breath here or all those things. Because mm-hmm. when you're learning how to like punch in, right, to, to get a good vocal or you're comping a vocal, um, I've really learned that the most natural way is try to get like a really good full take, multiple takes, and then punch in here and there or comp yeah. it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but knowing that knowledge of like how a vocalist can like really give you a good performance and making them comfortable too, obviously, is like so key. Yeah. So it's, it's vocals is the hardest one. Yeah. yeah. I hate to say it, like, but, but to be a really good recording engineer right now, you have to just kind of like know all of this information. Absolutely. And I mean, you don't necessarily like sign up for lessons, but you know, there's like, I've just, if I'm not working, I'm probably like watching YouTube videos about something, mm-hmm. you know? So Yeah, or talking to people that do talking it. Talking to people that do it. Plenty. I had no vocal coaches, and I, I asked these questions. Yeah. Drummers, I asked the drummer questions. Yep. Everyone, yep. understanding, like we earlier we were talking about the drum kit, how yeah. it's really important, you should know everything about it. It's like you also should know everything about the bass, Yeah. about the guitar. Yeah. If you're not a guitar player, know what each string is, yeah. know what each pickup is, how the selectors work, what yep. they do, how, what a machine is, how it works, how it's in tune, how it's not, why they're tuned in for us, why they're, like all of this. Yep accumulates yep. and helps you better to communicate with that person. Like, oh, well, maybe try this or that. Oh, you know what? You want to go for that tone. Maybe switch the neck pickup yep. because it's going to be a little bit more warm Yeah, and you won't have to do so much in equalization and then you'll have a better yeah. pure tone. Yeah. There's yeah. so the many source. things like that. Yeah. Even an effects pedal, like, oh, I'm trying to get this sound. Like, well, I know that the delay is going to sound like this. Maybe try the analog one, couple with that, yep. make it less reverb. Maybe oh your amp's a little muddy. Maybe turn on the deep setting, but then turn up the brightness. Yep. Turn down the bass because it's gonna have a different contour. Yep. All these things are so helpful. Totally. You know and how and, it sounds coming out of the speakers may be totally different in the live room. Even yeah. Sometimes Especially the amps. That of course. Seems to be the case. You and know? it'll make them more comfortable. Yeah. Like oh wow he's like relating to me. Yep. He's not just like this machine that's saying all these technical words I don't understand. Yep. He's he's on my level and he's relating or she's relating or anyone's relating. Yep. And I'll usually use a language of like, if I have an idea of a sound, I'll usually say, if they're trying to get something, I will never direct them like, you should do this. I'll usually word it as in like, when I'm playing guitar and I'm trying to get that sound, this is usually what, this is my mm, process. Yeah. If you want to try it, go for it. If not, they always try it and, and it should hopefully should work. But it's I, I reframe it of being like, this is how I would do it. Yeah. But if we don't want to do it, that's okay. But they, and they, I feel like by saying it like that, they're hearing it like, Oh, you're just suggesting me. Mm-hmm. You're not forcing me. Skill set to yeah. learn how to speak that way. Yes. Like in your head, you might be saying it one way, but you know it has to come out. It has to be this way. <laughs> I remember Benjamin, if I could like share a heartbreak, not heartbreaking story, but an intense story. Is, Go for uh, it. <laughs> one time we were recording this band and I was assisting him and we were trying to get some kind of like delay out of a, of a volume pedal to make it trail, like mm-hmm. to get these like swells, right? And they had the pedals flipped. So it was not doing exactly what they were talking about. And I remember sitting next to Benjamin and, and I was like, she, she was out in the library with her guitar and I was just saying like, oh no, you got to do this. You got to put them uh, reverse. Because mm-hmm. I, I know exactly what she's trying to get. But mm-hmm. I was like telling her how to do it. And Benjamin just turned to me and goes, can we, uh, can we talk outside for a second? I was like, oh no. And he, he took me back there. And then the lounge was <clears throat> just like, never, ever, ever speak like that to a band. I will do that if I need to, but never do that again. Right. I was an intern then. So, you know, it was like, okay, right. Totally. Heard, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
And every intern gets that. You know what I mean? It's, yeah. it's going to happen where you just like, you get, it's not because you're being rude. A lot of times you're just excited. You're, you're in the moment. You're excited. You're so stoked because you just been, have to learn a new way to say the same thing. Or especially you know? the intern, do not talk. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's learn, really. Learn how to say the same thing. Or just like lean over and be like, okay, yeah, I have an idea. I have an idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then like, be like, what is it? You know? And, yeah. and he'd be like, just shut up. I'm like, okay, cool. You know? It's, and I it did not sucks because sometimes like an intern can be right, but because yeah. you're like, the intern, the band yeah. doesn't even take you as seriously. Totally. So if you do say something, who's like, this guy? This person's out of line. Yeah. It's it's actually <laughs> yeah. funny. Like there's some ideas brewing. I'll be very vague about it, but soon there'll be. Um, I'll have other people like doing sessions here yeah. if I'm out of state. Yeah. And then I'll come back and do the the post production, the editing. But they'll be capturing. They'll be meeting with bands. Right. And the biggest thing is like they're comfortable with the technology the cameras the mics how to set up everything but the biggest thing i'm telling them is like i have to teach you how to interface with these bands right you're not used to meeting a thousand different bands from yep. all different backgrounds and learning how to choreograph the art of conversation and an explanation and walking them off these ledges telling them that take was okay you could say that take was fine you're fine yep and then they're just like Ugh. or you can be like you know it's all right you know a lot of people don't like it that's okay though we could try it again, but it might not be quite the same. Honestly, I think that one's really great. Mm -hmm. Let's let's maybe let's stop there and go to the next one. If you really feel like coming back, we can. But yep. I really believe that was fine. You know, I hear a lot of music, and I didn't hear any technical issues. Yep. So it's probably just something you guys are used to. You're in your own head about it. That's all right. Yep. And that takes effort. It takes patience to just say that. When I could have said like, "It's fine. Let's move on." Yep. I just I just spoke for a minute. Yeah. Just say the you same know, thing. That's a really interesting concept because it's a balance of that. Because I've had many times to, especially let's say like a, like a guitar solo um, overdub, mm -hmm. right? And, you know, especially with guitar solos, it seems to be like, be like this, but someone can record it and it could be like the first take and I'd be like, that was it. Mm -hmm. No more. Because it truly can happen where like, I really don't want bands or artists to like, overthink something too mm -hmm. much. Mm -hmm. So you kind of got to be like, that was a really good one. We can do another one. Go for it. And I'll give him like three. You know what I mean? And then voice my opinion as far as like which one I really loved. You know? Mm -hmm. So it is like that kind of, that language again that we talked about. Of it's like, a balance. It's a balance. Yeah. yeah. It, it's like all intuition. All this is all intuition. Yeah. Right. And and learning the words, but really having a gut feeling. Experience you know I mean? too. Yeah. Like how long have you been playing music for? Long time. Yeah. 13, 14, 15? Well, I started playing guitar when I was six. Oh, wow. Yeah, because I was a farm kid and I had nothing to do. <laughs> nothing. How many kids were in your school? Oh, well, my graduating class in high school was 28. Nice. Yeah, and that's made up of five towns. <laughs> God. <laughs> yeah. Mine was like 500 and that's, yeah. I mean, it was cool in some ways that like everybody knew everybody. Everyone knew their parents, their grandparents. That's not a good thing. Well, I mean, it's like, You it's know why? Because when one person messes up, which yep. will statistically happen, yeah. everyone knows it and they get totally. shunned. They get looked down. Oh, so-and-so did this. Absolutely. In my world, you just get lost in the And ether. you can't get away with anything. <laughs> no, you can't. Yeah. I yeah. mean, but there are like some fun things about it. You no, know, yeah. like yeah. these are all also like farm kids too. And, you know, when you got into high school, it was like, hey, we're going to, go drink in the middle of the cornfield in the waterway you yeah. know like silly things yeah. like that was normal to me and then like do you guys go like uh like a, a um what's it called a uh hay rack ride when you like drink and, <laughs> and drive in pickup trucks what's it called a crave case route case route? uh yeah there's a there's a lot of a term for it down there that, uh, there's absolutely a lot of uh 
drinking and driving down there for oh, sure. Oh yeah. Well, it's yeah, like, what are you gonna hit? Just in your yeah. <laughs> and you're also you're driving on gar- gravel roads. Yeah. You know, and and everyone is in a pickup truck going like 15 miles an hour. Right. I'm not saying this is good, by the way. <laughs> no. But I, I but I at the same time I get why they that's still where call, your mind goes. They still to call that. them roadies down there. It's a it's a problem yeah. in those small towns. A lot of yeah. issues are like pills. Yeah. Meth and alcohol. Meth is super because bad. Because heroin's not coming in yeah cocaine's not coming in weed's not coming yeah. in. no one's gonna bring it to some small town right so it's stuff you can manufacture totally or steal yeah it's pills you could steal from your parents or for somebody yeah. alcohol you can buy legally yeah or um meth that you can make or get from someone who made it totally. yeah it's a huge problem and it's just a kind of like you know a lot of those houses that are questionable out in the countryside when you're like that one's boarded up and that's weird it's probably a meth house yeah <laughs> yeah so <sighs> But that that's kind of a new thing. I mean, that kind of started happening when I was in high school. But man, when I was a kid, it was really fun. Halloween especially. So fun. Why is that? Because the whole tradition of like the hay rack rides. The, oh, they're going to say, because trick-or-treating, we had to run trick a mile to the next house. was awesome. <laughs> Where did you go to trick-or-treat when I mean, everything's like, Victor- far? Victoria was super close and that had like 130 people in it. So that's where I went to grade school. That's it? And 130 houses? That's it. And you know every house, you know which lady had the best corn ball, uh, popcorn balls. But what happens you know? when you get through it in like an hour and a half? Uh, you just go back around and wear a different costume. <laughs> <laughs> For real. That's awesome. Yeah. I never thought about <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah. You have what, four costumes That's why Halloween? Exactly. And my mom sewed them all. She was oh waiting to like join fabric. Is this a known thing? Yeah. Did the people ever pick up like, there's a lot of kids here, even though a population's they not this big. They were fine. They're like, they oh, here comes the Malone kid Do again. Do they know? Yeah, they know. But like, whatever. They just entertained it. Because <laughs> around here, you you just find a neighborhood yeah. in the suburbs around here that has houses closer to each other with yeah. less steps. Yeah. And you're set. You fill up, we used to use pillowcases. You just fill up two pillowcases, sure. you know, in a couple hours, you're set. Yeah. I never thought about the change it out. Yeah. That's so funny. Halloween was great. And, and what's so cool is that so many of my mom's friends that she went to school with all lived there too. So they would all get together as parents and put together some kind of like fun, like haunted house thing for us. And mm-hmm. yeah, it was great. It felt, there's a, a, I should stress back then, you could still have a pretty decent job and live in these small towns. Mm-hmm. It was actually possible. I mean, a lot of factory jobs and stuff. Mm-hmm. And once they all left in the 90s, that's when it all just like, nosedived mm-hmm. yeah but back then it was actually a pretty fun little 70s simple, 80s early 90s yeah it was fun what happened to them when they left like where did the jobs go like what did people start doing they had to move to bigger cities mm-hmm. um peoria such especially which is an hour away um yeah just the just the whole um economy around there just collapsed wow. and even farmers um farmers are just like in way uh, should be experiencing difficult times too to be a small farmer, mm-hmm. right? Because these giant farms are kind of buying them out now. And are you off I fifty five? Like where? At? Um, I actually exit I fifty five onto I eighty, and I take that down for two more hours. I eighty. Yep. Mm-hmm. So you take I fifty five to I eighty and you yep. take I eighty west. Yep, southwest. And, yeah. and then where do you go off I eighty? Uh, then I get off around an exit for Galva, and that's the. That's where the only adult book and video is right there, so that you might know the lion's den. I get off at the lion's den. <laughs> I never understood adult book and video still when we have these devices. Dude, it's like, just, what do we do? It's the OG, you know? It's just so goofy. It's clearly people who are out of touch with modern technology. I guess so, but maybe they just, you know, some people like analog recordings, some people like digital <laughs> recording, you know? That's where we are, yeah. Some people want to hold a book. Yeah. Or a magazine. Or a magazine. Yeah. Or, yeah, VHS. I remember a Hollywood video... 
Oh, yeah. Had the adult section in the back. Totally. Family video? Did you ever have a family video? Not around here, no. Okay, so family video was really funny because, and they're all closed now too, unfortunately, but uh, growing up, they had these saloon doors mm. that went back to the uh, adult section. Like, they're literally saloon doors. Mm-hmm. Like, not like, like saloon. They were literally swinging saloon yeah. doors. I love that, like, this, like, really innocent video rental store that had this, like, section, you know? Would you and your friends ever, like, go back totally. there? Totally. <laughs> And it would stink because you would see like your high school teacher or something. Yeah, you know see, what I mean. That's the problem with small town. town. You exactly. See weird like, stuff oh, no. like that. You know, you, that's the problem with it. you can't just do stuff without yeah. running into those. There's things. no off the radar. Yeah, like the teachers in the schools I went to, like most of them didn't even live near here. Yeah, that's they true. just commuted. They lived yeah. miles away. You never saw them. Not only did the teachers live in that area, but a lot of the teachers I had in high school were also my mom's high school teachers. Oh wow! So you kind of had this like. Uh, reputation hand down from your parents. Mm-hmm. We were like, oh, oh you're Malone's. Yeah. So they just assume things. You're a bad seed. Yeah. <laughs> your father got a lot of merit or demerits. Yeah, exactly. That's so, so funny. But it's a give or take. But I, I still I still hold on to that like small town energy. You know what I mean? I think the uh, hardest part about it is that when I go back, it's like Trump land and I, uh, it really pisses me off. I mean, it's Trump land anywhere there's not a major metropolitan city it's or true. university. I think it's Pretty more that much. I just feel duped. I, I, I'm angry because a lot of those people that I grew up with, some still live there. These like these parents that were my, you know, kind of like guidance counselors essentially growing up, right? Yeah. And then they would teach me such good life values, you know, especially about community and especially about like that very stereotypical like Midwestern vibe, you know? Mm-hmm. And being very, like having manners and stuff like that. And then you see a freaking Trump flag in their yard, and it's just like the the disconnect there is so extreme. Yeah, and they're just mad. They're very angry because, as we were talking about earlier about the economy yeah. collapsing around that, that's what they're mad about. Absolutely. So that's a big thing that a lot of people <laughs> who are more left leaning yeah. or liberal don't understand. That's not necessarily just because they like the person that they're bad or racist, yeah. or homophobic or xenophobic. It's they're probably mad about other things yeah. that's beyond our experience or knowledge because we're too young yeah. and we're too wrapped up in our own bubble. But seeing see in my own, my own parents, they just want to live in that small town because people like that, mm-hmm. believe it or not. Some people like really enjoy it. Um, I yeah. do not. But like I, I do understand the simplicity of it. Yeah. <clears throat> but they're just slower. mad that their it's jobs are all gone. Yeah. Yeah, yeah you're mad <laughs> your job is gone and someone says like, oh, we'll bring it back. Yep. And you go... You don't really care about the other crap he's saying. I just want my job back. Exactly. I just want I to, need live. to live. Exactly. I want to live. I just want money again. I don't want to play this game. Exactly. This political identity game. Yep. I just want to have enough money for my family again. And yep. Whoever's saying it, sure. It just yep. happens that he's saying it. Yeah. And, and I don't agree very, with everything, but I understand where that's yep. coming from. Yeah. You know, especially from a small town world, you don't, you're not seeing everything else. You're not walking around Logan Square right. or Humboldt Park and seeing those things. Exactly. It's like, what do you think is going to happen? Yeah. You know? And, the, and the, the thing is that the, the the Democrat side is really bad at uh, using their words to help. Like they're not they're not telling. They're like they always have, the small towns feel like they're forgotten all the time. Yeah. They're not considered even. Yeah, and that's not Democrats don't. It's just they just don't talk about it in the way Republicans do. Yeah, like they just kind of like they just say like, well, that area is red anyway. We're just going to focus on Chicago. Or, you yeah, know what I mean? Yeah, screw them. Yeah, and we don't it, we don't need it, to spend time. But it's like that's where they mess up. Yeah, you know? I just drove to Florida <laughs> and back. Yeah. Well, in the fall, I drove to Baltimore and back. In March, I drove to Florida and back. In May, I drove to Texas and back, <laughs> Dallas. And then 
last two weeks ago, I drove to Utah and back mm-hmm. to um, Grand Canyon and to to um, Angels Landing and in, in, in uh, Zion National Park. So I've seen like eleven thousand miles of this country. Yep. M- 98% of it rural, if not more. I saw a lot of stuff. Saw a lot of Trump signs. Saw a lot of Confederate flags. Yeah. But I also saw a lot of like other things that weren't that. All these small towns. And you, you see how vast this country is. Mm-hmm. It gave me a great... I mean, I drove this whole thing in my own Honda Civic. And I spent hours doing all this. And I saw it. And I did it all during the daytime. So I really saw it and took it in. And it was a really great learning experience to, to see how vast this country is, how vast this world is. Makes sense. Like I, you could see how people don't understand or get get along. Yeah. There's mountain ranging separating into you. There's there's oceans. Yep. There's farmlands. There's you drive through Nebraska. It's just like ten hours of just nothing. Yep. But these little tiny farm towns. Yep. Just nothing is going on. Even driving past Omaha and Lincoln, you don't even see it. You just keep going, and you're like, these people are out here in the middle mm-hmm. of nowhere. Like, what do you think? How they feel? They're losing this. They're losing that. Yep. They have no connection. They feel like they're forgotten about. Yeah. I get it. Maybe I don't agree with their ideologies, right. their religious backgrounds, or how they feel about things, but there's still people in this country, and we mm-hmm. still coexist. We have to figure out something. Yeah. And then you go back to a major city. You go back to Chicago, and you're like, oh, it feels good to be back. But then yeah. you're like, but now I'm just in my bubble again. Yeah. And it was nice, as much as I don't agree with a lot of it, it was nice to get out of that and just at least see, see it. it. Yeah. See it for real. Not fly over it. Yeah. Not talk about it on Twitter. Yeah. Not look at a YouTube video, but actually throw myself into there and, and you really know, take it, it in. What's so heartbreaking is that in reality, if you go to that small town coffee shop and you talk to someone who lives in that area, they actually want the same damn thing. Yeah. And so it, it's mind boggling that like th- what they want is healthcare and a, and a decent paying job and all these, th- they want that stuff, mm-hmm. you know? And it, it's just, uh, these words have been so directed to the other side or, you know, just bad mouth, you know, you know mudslinging words all the time mm-hmm. just to be like, this person believes this, don't trust them. This mm-hmm. person believes this, don't trust them, mm-hmm. you know? So you really get this divide. And, um, that kind of happens probably if you were to go to the small towns. Like, I'm from Chicago. They're probably like, oh, God. And they could tell. Yeah. I'd show up in the clothes and sure. shoes I'm wearing. A Honda Civic. A Honda Civic with Those the clothes I'm wearing. They're just like, this guy. City boy. Just too much color. They're yeah. just like, why does he have so many colors and patterns on? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they know right away. Totally. Even my, like, language, you walk in and... You can just tell. You go into those... We, this hole-in-the-wall gas stations. Mm-hmm. Just middle nowhere, Colorado. Middle... The middle of the straight-up desert in Utah where the sign says no signal, no gas, yep. nothing for 105 miles. Yeah. And that is some Party. of the best driving you've ever done oh, in your yeah. life. Because you get to go about a 95 miles an hour. There's not a soul out there. Yeah. The speed limit's 80. There is nobody. And you're in this vast canyon, which clearly used to be an ocean, just under mountains, 50, 60 miles in each direction. That's how far away the miles yep. the mountains are. And it's 110 degrees out. And you're just out there, and it's just you, music, your two friends, and you see, like, man, this country, this world is so, so big, big, yeah, and vast and gorgeous. I mean, yeah. some of these valleys you're you're driving down, they take thirty miles to get down it, and it's just like this big slope of thousands of feet. Yep. And you hear, you feel your ears popping. You know, you're barely going down this really yep. small angle, and it's massive. And then you go to these little towns. We went to these such small towns to get gas. The only restaurant in the whole town is an Arby's. Yep. And it's probably a town of like 300 people, middle of the desert. I'm like, what do they even do out here? There's mm-hmm. one gas station. Mm-hmm. There's an Arby's. There's a bank. There's like nothing. There's abandoned stuff everywhere. Yep. And you're just like, 
these people are people and yep. they work and they live and they have their school. They're away from everyone. Yep. Like they, they matter too. Yeah. And they might have the wrong ideas. They might be racist. Maybe they're not. I don't know. Yeah. But it's not fair to assume. Right. I should probably at least go talk and look at it. And you go there and there's everyone's doing their thing. There's all different types of people there, people waiting in line to get their food and everyone's just doing, it's their humans. Yeah. You know, and they just have the wrong thing put on them. Yeah. It's like, I've met racist people in Chicago. Yep. A lot of them. Yeah. I've met them in the middle of nowhere. It's, they're everywhere. Yeah. People who don't understand another type of person. Yep. A person who is sexist, a person who is xenophobic, a person who is Muslim, Jewish, Hindu, Christian, atheist, they're everywhere. Yep. You know, we can't just put them in this bubble and say, like, no, they're only there. Yeah. It's like, they just identify as a Republican, but it doesn't always necessarily say how they actually feel about another human being. Totally. You know, and it's it's just hard. It's it is sad. hard, especially in the small towns. I'd, I'd say there's a definitely like lack of education. Yeah, you know. So it you know it seems like every problem that we kind of talk about politically or anything, it just seems to derive from you know lack of education. It's Absolutely, like, it's just education is everything. Yeah, it's everything. Mm-hmm. And like I, that was something where, where I grew up. My elementary school was tiny. I mean, I had nine kids in my class. <laughs> and what was so cool about it though is that you had to bunk up. So we only had so many teachers, so your first and second grade class was together, and it was taught by one teacher. And so she'd teach first grade side for a little bit, and then she'd tell you to do your homework, and then she'd teach the second grade side, all in one sitting. Mm-hmm. And then we got third, fourth, one teacher, fifth, sixth, one teacher. Mm-hmm. So you really had like three teachers, and one of them was the principal, and her mm-hmm. husband was our PE teacher. <laughs> so so small. Yeah. But, you know, the the family side of it was really good. The bummer about it was that these are teachers who are, you know, probably didn't even go to college or something. You know, mm-hmm. they're just regular people. <clears throat> and, um, yeah, they have no training of, like, how to de-escalate things or how to properly talk about things or, you know, and hopefully maybe that's changing now. I don't really know. But, um, yeah, that's that's kind of the weird things. They don't have access to to proper training and yeah. resources and stuff, you know. So. Yeah, the more rural you get, the the worse use of the education gets. Yep. Mm-hmm. I have a couple of my friends who I visit in Texas. They're from a part of Texas that is known for being like having the worst education, mm-hmm. the highest pregnancy rate amongst yep. women, amongst, yep. amongst the girls where it's, it was something ridiculous. I couldn't believe the number. It was like, I'm, I don't know the number, but it was a lot where it's like one in every six girls yeah. was pregnant. You're just like, what? Yep. That's insane. It was like, one or two girls in my high school. Because it's like it's know? like a norm down there. It's normal. You know? It's yeah. what you do. They're yeah. not aware of, of <clears throat> contraceptions and their health classes because it's too much going against the Republican Christian values. Yeah. So you don't even you don't talk about it. Right. You just don't. Assumed. You just assume like, nope, you don't have sex until you get married. Yeah. But like that, that's not how humans work. Right. You know, not it's everyone's going to believe. No, it's <laughs> never worked. Yeah. It doesn't work. I hate to break it to you. Yeah. And... Yeah, they were like, it was bad. And there's parts of Mississippi, Alabama, because I've driven across I-10 from, you know, Florida, Tallahassee, across, uh, you know, you go through Georgia, Mississippi, or Alabama, Mississippi to Louisiana. I've driven around this whole country. It's kind of fun. It's great. I mean, there's some crazy stuff. Yeah. But you get to actually see it and be like, yeah. that is crazy. Yep. Someone on the news didn't tell me it was crazy. I got to make that a decision myself. <laughs> Absolutely. And you find out, like, a lot of their education, they're – Eighth grade education is where we are in fifth grade, yep. fourth grade. By the time you get to high school, it's like they're in junior high and they're behind. Mm-hmm. And like, what do you think is going to happen with that? You, they're actually not to blame right. when that's what they're shown and taught and exactly. it's part of their their system. Yep. So you have to at least give them the benefit of the doubt and at least explain instead of berating and saying like, oh, they're just a bunch of, you know, 
idiots or, you know, yep. hicks and stuff. It's like, that's funny and stuff, but at, I mean, we can make jokes about it, but at its core, it's like, that's a problem. You got to think about it. Like, they're, they're trapped in these small towns. Maybe they're surrounded by mountains, Appalachia. They're not receiving the information. They're not yep. getting the input. Their education is years behind yep. as far as where they are at, at a mathematical science and language level, and it could be decades behind as far as what they're being told about social norms and pop culture. For sure. It's like, so you got to at least give them that buffer period, at least try yeah. to explain it to them. And that's how I am with my parents. They're so in a different world than me yeah. and so far behind. Like my last, the last education my dad got was in 1973. Yeah. In, in you know, in um, at Gage High School in the South Side of Chicago, most of his education was during the race riots mm-hmm. in the 60s. So he was stressed out about that and he's 100% Mexican. Yeah. So he was torn between white people, black people and right. trying to fit in. Yep being a first-generation immigrant. Totally. So he didn't really get much of an education. Honestly, he's just trying to survive. Yeah. So, like, what do you think he's going to think? How right. do you think he's going to live? That's yep. what he knows. He has trauma from that. Yep. So you have to take your time. with You can't be like, oh, this, this boomer is an idiot. Yeah. And you got to be like, no. Yeah. In order to help, when they say something that might be a little not a good idea to say, yep. you got to sit there and be like, let's talk about that. Yeah. And, and re- reverse engineer it yep. and try to help them understand their brain has been printed this way for too long. Absolutely. But to just throw daggers at them. Yeah. And be like, screw them, sweep them on the rug. It's like, yep. well, they're not going anywhere. Yep. So what's the point of just berating someone and <clears throat> labeling them and saying like, no, screw them. It's like, no, there's still 330 million people here. Yep. We have to learn how to coexist somehow. Totally. And I think what you said earlier, I think the, the media is really bad about this where it's like, it really stresses you out and that like, yeah, out, outside of your city you live in, it's fires and danger and, and this and this and this and, and and it just sounds chaotic mm-hmm. but then you drive out there and it's like oh this is beautiful mm-hmm. why was i so worried you know what mm-hmm. i mean i don't know I've, i kind of feel like it may the media kind of pushes that idea that they pressure on well it, it's numbers you know? yeah you get, numbers. You get people engage when you fear is yeah. the best seller the right. most you make a lot of income with, with yeah. fear but i think you're right you definitely need to go out and just drive through that stuff and drive just around this country it. and see it yeah it's crazy not enough people do it. Yeah. I love road tripping. I love seeing everything so and, and learning about it. I know that I have to be honest, I'm in a privileged position being a white man. Yeah. You know, it's a lot easier for me to travel. I don't have to worry about much, to be honest. Right. I mean, I'll get some looks in certain spots just yeah. because I, I have slightly, I have a beard, a little bit more browner skin, but nothing crazy, nothing yeah. to write home about. So to be anybody of color, to be a woman, it's so such a different story right. to travel. Yep. But I, I do the best I can with what I have, and what I have is the ability to travel around and do that. So at least I could take that and pass along that information yep. or try to encourage someone else to try it, you know? Yep. But it's wild. This country is, I can't, like, this world is so big. To know how vast the country is and to know there's oceans and pond oceans bigger than this country, yep. separating you between that and the next landmass, yep. it makes sense about how everyone's so different, why there's so many different cultures and ethnicities. Mm-hmm. And I find it to be really beautiful. It's sad that, because someone's different, people get mad or aggressive about it. Yeah. I find it to be amazing yeah. when there's differences. There's it's going really, to be no matter what. Yeah. Yeah. No yeah. matter what you do. I know. That's where music comes in. Yeah. It, it, it glues really. it all together. It does glue it all together. It yep. brings it like there's so many. Signal flow. <laughs> Signal flow. Exactly. <laughs> Same thing. Has there been any um, bands, you don't have to anymore, you can, yeah. that, that stuck out that you recorded where you were like, this is like almost like some of my favorite music I've ever heard. You know, I, I think it's always, in my mind, maybe because it's, it's so fresh, but it's always like the recent things I've been doing. I, I really do love everything I, I work on. Mm-hmm. I, I really put my entire energy into it. Mm-hmm. So I know that like when it's done, I'm a fan of it. Yeah. And um, 
sometimes I tell bands that where I'm like, it's is it selfish to feel this way? That like really when I'm working on someone's record, I'm just hearing it as if I was an extreme fan and like how I want to hear it. Yeah. You know, that's kind of like how I approach it. So so everything I feel like I do, I'm like super excited about, you know. Um but yeah, there uh, this right before the pandemic happened, there was a stretch of some some records that I did that I felt like I got to actually uh show uh, showcasing right showcase my like production chops more like trying to really push ideas and <clears throat> maybe like take things a different route that originally weren't set in stone you know mm-hmm. but i think yeah the the moon type record was really fun that was a good one for me because they were really good they're really good friends and they're really good musicians and it was cool to be able to um start recording but at the drop of a hat be like okay um here's maybe something different we could do and, I, and i'll get really specific here so i think this kind of goes with every band I'm, I'm really obsessed with the idea of like talking with them about the sound that they want and maybe like what can we do to make this band sound like one themselves but two just something different Some, something different like I don't want to copy something. I just don't. I don't have it in me. It's not fun. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't want to work on a band that wants to sound just like Tame Impala. I just don't. It's like that's been done. I, I love it. I don't, I'm not saying I hate it. I just, I don't have the drive to do that. It's just, it seems like a waste of time in my brain, which is maybe n- not the nicest thing to say, but mm-hmm. I just don't like to be a, uh, I don't like to make records that are just, so strictly this thing i really want to like try to make something different some way and but you know but when you talk about a band sounding like their own identity versus like that i think those go hand in hand i think you actually like ultimately get to a band sounding like more themselves doing that process Mm -hmm. but um so i yeah i think with that record in particular that was a fun one where it was like some fast experimenting and uh but still kept to themselves you know uh, as far as their identity and their sound. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, they have an album called Bodies of Water. And this is like my third record I've done that's come out on my friend Greg's label called Born Yesterday. Um, but I think, honestly, there's one record that actually the first one I did on that label, it was this band called Drool. Oh, man, that still, mm-hmm. that was like a record. They're only two piece. Mm-hmm. And like I saw them a couple times and was always just blown away by their sound. Just like it was so unique. I just mm-hmm. never heard anything like that before. And Drool. Where are they from? Um, well, they were from Chicago originally, but um, Hirsch, the guitar player, he lives out. I want to think. I think Baltimore. I think now. Mm. Um, I mean, it's Philly. I think somewhere in Philly. But um, so after that record was done, they like essentially split up. Um, and that one was so fun because when you have, especially just have two people in the band, you know, there's less to kind of like deal with in a way. So, you, so the setup was a little easier. But um, yeah, the, the sheer amount of like experimentation that went on, that was fun. And I wouldn't when I listen to it now, I'm like, oh, it's not like the best mixed record. That, but I love it. I love it that I really went for it, or we all went for it, and just tried to make this like crazy thing. Mm-hmm. And um, when, I, when was that made? I mean, only like three years ago. Okay. Yeah, and I, I love that album. I really do. I think like it's like the closest to maybe like what goes on in my head as far mm-hmm. as like controlled chaos. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, so there's a couple of records that you're like, I could listen to this. This is, I yeah. would like this. Yeah. If, if I heard it from a different source, I'd still All records it. are like that to me. Okay. I really do. Every one of them that I work on, I really make sure that that gets out. Well, I'm talking <clears> more <throat> even like genre though. Oh, yeah, but even like genre. So so being an engineer yeah. has opened your palette for genres. It's 
I would say that being my obsession, having an obsession for multiple genres made me an engineer. Mm. Right? Like, I think that... That's um, a good way of putting that it. That was always my struggle in playing in a band where like, I want to do too many things. Yeah, You know, yeah, yeah. and then... So I was like, oh, God, this makes total sense why engineering is so fun for me because I get to work on a rap record and a indie record and a doom metal record. And I've done a lot of country right, lately, mm-hmm. which is really, really fun. Like, kind of like... <clears throat> Um, not modern country, but you know, like old time folk, Sturgill Simpson style. You know, some of the best musicians, that, that kind of stuff, are like country bluegrass. Totally, they're and, all. And trained. I grew up with bluegrass music and country music, so she did. <laughs> it's kind of like full circle for me. Yeah. When someone's like, "Oh man, we want to do like a '90s country," I'm like, "Oh my god, do I know that sound?" Yeah. Not intentionally, just by default, it's in my blood. You know, if there's a fiddle involved, that yeah. person is one of the best musicians. You've ever <laughs> yeah. So like, like, yeah, I, my, my first show I ever went to when I was a kid was Dwight Yoakam, very little. So like, you know, that <clears throat> that sound was integrated very young. Mm. So, and that's what my parents listen to. My dad is obsessed with uh, old country, played a lot of it, you know, anything from George Strait to way older, right? That's more like 90s stuff. But um, yeah, all that old stuff is great. What um What made you come from that area and want to go to Chicago and not a different city? So the I think the biggest thing was uh well when I graduated high school I went to community college in Galesburg and I went three years there studying music and whatever. Just not really knowing what I was doing yet. Same great thing. For community I, I did three years at the community college here. Awesome. Not knowing what I was doing. It's great music, so there you yeah. go. <laughs> and then I moved to Austin, Texas after that. Oh, okay. And I lived there for a few years, but I think I was there for like four years. Why'd you go there? That was kind of an interesting thing where uh there, I was already playing in bands in high school and stuff, and uh, we played up in the Quad Cities a lot. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and um, there was a band there that we played a lot of shows with, and uh, they were traveling down to Austin every summer because that's the very first couple of years when like Austin Psych Fest started, like the very very first ones. And um, they would always tell us or tell me specifically, like, hey, if you want to like keep doing music, you should move down there. There's a great music scene. And uh, so, yeah, around like in 2000 and, jeez, uh, when was this? Around 2008, I moved down to Austin. And it was still pretty chill. It hadn't quite gotten crazy mm-hmm. down there yet. And um, I just went on Craigslist and just moved in with random people. Literally had a Saturn ion, just like loaded it up and drove down there, you know? Mm-hmm. That's and, awesome. Yeah. And just... Was it planned to go to school there at all? Or no. Just- just totally planned to just be an adult for a second or young adult and just live for a second. Mm-hmm. I just felt like I needed to. I needed to get out of that small town that I grew up in. Absolutely. And just learn <clears throat> what it means to not be in that small town. Yeah. And that means a lot of things. That means learning a whole bunch of life skills, like learning that there are just, again, that the world is a lot bigger than you think it is, right? Mm-hmm. That's really what it is. And it was great. I got back then. Uh, you got to leave. You got to live downtown Austin, super cheap. It was the perfect city for a college student on a budget. <clears throat> what year was this? Two thousand and eight. Okay, so <clears throat> it was nuts. Like yeah. it was great. It was like a playground, and uh, there were so many young people living there. And I feel like I got to meet so many musicians. And I think really what I want to do is I had played bands and bands in high school in these small towns, right? And all I knew was that, and I really wanted to go out and like see other musicians and just learn from them. So I essentially became a studio musician and I was a guitar player and I'd, I would record guitar in all these different studios for these bands. And so that's where I started getting the studio bug was from just watching this go down mm-hmm. and seeing the microphones go up and everything. I'm like, wow, this is so cool. 
I had no idea how this mm. worked. And, you know, the recording engineers back there like doing it. And it's like, oh my God, like you're, you're doing that. That is so cool, you know, mm. so. So it came from being a musician, first yep, and foremost. Absolutely. And so. That you, seems to be the case for most engineers. It kind of, you know, not, it doesn't need to be, but it really helps because again, back to the whole trust thing when you're recording a band, I feel like I need to like look them dead in the eye and be like, I know what you're feeling right now. I've been through this so many times, so I'm going to tell you what I'm doing and we're going to come together and like understand each other that mm-hmm. like that you're nervous and I understand that. And I'm also nervous because I'm recording. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to capture your creative endeavor yeah, 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 that no, you I stayed up all night writing. I want to make, I understand that you, yeah, exactly right. I understand that you took so much time to write this song yeah. that you got stoked that you showed your friend and that yeah. you then showed your band, and you, and you guys like got you saved to, it for years to get that guitar to yeah. write it on. And, yeah, yeah. Maybe you fired your guitar player over the song. You uh, know, like all these yeah, things happen course. that you need to think about. Yeah. And then you also here's the big kicker, is that you got together and you're like, we should go in the studio. It's going to be kind of expensive, but instead of going on vacation, we're going to spend money. Yeah. To record this, yeah. and then to appreciate that they were like, we should record with Doug. You know, so I get that email and I tell him like, thank you. Like, that's super nice you even considered me. That's a huge uh, compliment that you would even email me, mm-hmm. you know? And then that conversation starts, you know, but always that's that's exactly where it starts, where it's like, it's all about relatability and just trust. So yeah, it's like, I, I understand what you're doing and I understand how much you care about this. And, and again, I understand what you're, you have a song stuck in your head, how it should feel and sound. And I want to get to that, you know? Mm-hmm. So, so that, and that trust, when you get that trust, it's cool because, especially when you get to the mixing phase, if someone, if you're doing something, they're like, that's not the direction. I always tell them, like, everybody is, you can, please tell me that. Everyone tell me that. If this is not the right way, yeah. tell me that. Yeah. I will never get mad. I'll never give you sass. I'll be like, cool, on the next thing. You yeah. Know? So, but it all comes from like taking place of like being in a band, right? And you have to understand this is huge. I don't want to ramble about this too much, but like when you know when you play in a band, uh, there's body cues going on. So it's it's really funny to me when bands show up. And they're like, "Wait, we can just record this together in a room. We don't have to like do the drums and then do the bass." Mm-hmm. And it's like, "No, I never. I've never recorded like that. I don't like doing that. I, I've done refuse. it a couple times. Not a fan. Yeah, I just don't. Unless it's for like electronic, like something crazy, mm-hmm. you know, on the grid and like discoy or something. Maybe, but like." Yeah, I love I, I love having a band in the room and making sure that they're all together, the eyesight is there. It's mm. all part of that, yeah. right? That's like the cool thing about playing in a band is that like, it's kind of weird that we do this, you know? It's bizarre. If you really think about playing in a band, it's ridiculous. Elaborate, like, elaborate on that. Like, like it's crazy that someone's like, I want to learn an instrument. Okay, cool. Now I want to go play music with a person who I think I might enjoy being around there. But as you're in the moment of playing... I always have this thought and it makes me mess up sometimes, but I'm, I'm literally in my head, I'm like, this is nuts that yeah. we like chose to like get together and there's no words going on. Mm-hmm. You're just feeling it and you can You're, see someone you can like, act. you can act, you can see someone like vibing out. They're yeah. really feeling it, like, oh my God, there is this thing happening that we actually can't talk about yeah. and describe. It's just a thing in a moment. It's pretty magical. It's kind of like sex or something. Yeah. No, it's it's like exactly that, like right? sex. It's Ac- like, that's actually a great analogy. Yeah. It's, it's very like, much like sex. Yeah. And it's, you have to be present, but you also have to like listen to everybody and make sure you're not overstepping, but mm-hmm. your time is coming to like play your solo or yeah. something. Everybody needs to like move together. Mm-hmm. 
And so and that's why sometimes it works really well. Yeah. Sometimes it falls apart. Because yeah. if all those moving parts aren't there, you're just kind of like, it just falls and you, you feel it. Something's not right. Someone yeah. said the wrong thing. Like you ever played that show that went so well, like the one out of like 30, you know? Yeah. <laughs> that went like really well. Yeah. And then you all just stop playing and just look at each other and like you can't say anything. Mm-hmm. You can just see it in their eyes. They're like, yeah, wow, that was, that was insane. perfect. Like, and then the crowd feels it. Yeah. The crowd you see totally the crowd move it. to it. If you've ever played a show, which like what you're saying, yeah. things are going well on stage. It sounds good, feels good, and the crowd's enjoying it. Mm-hmm. It is one of the craziest feelings. It's ever. a crack addiction. I've never done crack, but like <laughs> that's uh God, the dopamine from that oh. is insane. I just like I, it's so intense for me when that happens and lines up that like I need to just go like have a moment by myself and mm-hmm. just like think about it. And that feeling yeah. is what propels you forward to keep doing it. The thing totally. that when people are like, why are you doing that? I get a real job. It's like, yeah. you've clearly never felt this. It's an amazing if you felt feeling. It, you would be like, I only can do this and or something like it. It's especially cool when you're in a band, especially a band that you're friends with, you all get along. And mm-hmm. it's like you, it's like you like came together somehow and like made this happen in this mm-hmm. point in time. And everything we're talking about, I have to recreate all that shit in the studio yeah. in a day. And yeah. I need to, I need everyone to feel comfortable. I need yeah. everyone to be getting along. I need everyone to be like feeling that feeling. I need their headphones to sound good. I have to like manufacture that vibe. Mm-hmm. And before anything happens. Yeah. Yeah. It's great. Because if you get if you if you check all those boxes, your recordings are gonna sound amazing. Way better. Way better. Live is that's why I love doing the live sessions. That's yeah. why it's like my bread and butter. It's like yeah. They're sitting there, they're looking at each other. They could see well because of these lights. Yeah. I put them in a circle. Yeah. It's just me down there. Yep. And we just go for it. And it, they come in and they just get to have this live recording. It is, it's next to what you're doing. They're just not, it's like adjacent. They're just not like overdubbing vocals or yeah, something. Right. But it's got the same thing that we get to capture on video. And it's such a fun way of doing it. Yep. I, I enjoy having that forever. And then I look back on the catalog of eight years of doing it. And you're like, man, I have just like thousands of hours of archives of my own existence. Yeah. It's like I have this diary, this yeah. video audio diary now, yep. and they do too. Yep. It's a really interesting thing. I never thought I had so much captured of my own life. Yeah. It's really wild. Yeah. And you do too. When you listen to or any record you've done, how long have you been making records for? I mean, see, that's Not the thing. Offer. Is, I mean, like, I, I, I started making records when I was young, but not working on them. Mm-hmm. But I mean, as a recording engineer, I mean, it has to be probably like 10 years. 10 now. years. Yeah. So yeah, same here. I started my first one in 2011. So yeah, yeah. 10 years. It was my own stuff. So yeah. I got into it by doing my own music. Yeah. 10 years of making records. It's like you have this catalog. You can listen back to any of them. Yeah. And probably know exactly like, oh man, I remember that, this, this, and that, how I got that, why. Like how many would you say you've done? Do you know? I have no idea. You know? I don't I, I don't know and I have I don't even care. Yeah. It's like a lot. It, I really don't care. Enough. Like, enough. The ones that need to get done. You know yeah. what I mean? Like <laughs> it's like it's like it's a constant forward motion of like, ooh, that deadline's coming up. You know, ooh, yeah. that deadline's coming up. Oh, yeah. that needs to be, you know, remixed a little bit or something. But oh, I never answered your question about when I got back to Chicago. So um Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, I was uh I, I met this guy, he doesn't even probably remember me. I was just okay. But like <laughs> I met this guy named Graham Parsons who is like this not Graham Parsons. I'm sorry, Graham, Graham Reynolds. Graham Parsons. I wish Graham Parsons. Graham, Graham Reynolds, excuse me. Talking about country. Um, and he he was a composer. He's kind of like this wacky, kind of almost like country meets John Cage. And he did <laughs> okay. He did film score music for like Scanner Darkly and oh, cool. that movie Bernie. Remember that one? Yeah, yeah. Jackpot? Yeah. So he was like doing film music. And uh, in Austin Fasten, they had these once a month events called the Dionysium and they happened at the Alamo Draft House. And what this was was like a philosophical meetup 
at a movie theater and they always had a programming. It would always be a topic and then Graham would always do the music part of it and he'd give some kind of like presentation and then talk about music. He's super knowledgeable, but he also was releasing these albums that were some, like he would release two records in a month and one of them would be jazz. The other one would be like electronic. He was, was just all over the place. It kind of blew my mind that he is an adult he was much older than me, could just do this. He, you could just tell he didn't care, had zero hangups. He was just doing everything he loved. And he was teaching too. And I sort of became obsessed with him and stalked him out and, you know, started talking to him. Was just like, I need to like understand what's going on here. Like, because you're not playing a rock band. What's going on? How are you doing this? You know? And um, yeah, we started like emailing a lot and talking a lot about um, electronic composition and everything. And and I just love that he was doing all this and putting it into film scores. And so I got really into film music. And I that's when I started playing the piano. I took up piano too. And um, yeah, I think uh, Texas got a little too hot. Like literally. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I miss the seasons. Uh, so just, man, too hot. It was crazy. So I I moved up to Chicago. And was like, I need. I, I felt like Austin was a really good stepping stone to get a city feel. Yeah. And I was like, I want to take it up a notch. Yeah, Chicago's a big notch. Yeah. So, so when I moved up here, it was like, great. And that's when I went to Columbia. Why did you choose Columbia? Uh, that's a really good question. Um, probably because I had researched that they had like a film music program of some sort. I never even got to it. <laughs> 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 but like, I think there was something. Uh, I think when I heard about a lot of the teachers, we we can like go back and forth about is Columbia a good school or is not. Right? Every school has like pluses and negatives. But I definitely heard that uh, Columbia had a lot of teachers that worked there who were in the field. Absolutely. Which actually ended up being insanely beneficial for me. Yeah. <laughs> like No, you're – that's. I, I actually perks. would not have my job if I didn't go to Columbia. Yeah. For sure. So yeah. um, I also had a teacher in composition that uh, – he whipped me into shape for sure. And his name is Marcos Balter. And, and I got to study with him privately for quite a bit. And he, his ideas about composition, timbre, everything shaped, blew my mind. Like completely reshaped my idea of sound mm. and music. Mm-hmm. Like really hard. Yeah. And I got to me at like the perfect time of my life. You know, I was a little older. I was like 25, I think, when I started my undergrad. Um, so that's kind of, a, I think that's an advantage you know, because you go into school after like living outside of school for a bit, you've lived a little bit as an mm-hmm. adult. So you realize how big the world is mm-hmm. and you realize that like this stuff matters. You know? Yeah, I went in at 22. Yeah. So I, yeah. So I really went into it hard. And so, yeah, Marcos was really good about um, showing me just like the elasticity of music, a sound, mm-hmm. right? That like it, what you think is new is probably someone's already been doing it. <laughs> but you, you should really like broaden your horizons and question things. That was, a, that was a big thing. You should question everything. Like mm-hmm. why you like something. Why you don't like something. And it really blew down so many walls for me um, that I'm very thankful for. I didn't end up uh, continuing being a composer. You know what I mean? Um, but that's something I revisit every now and then. So, mm-hmm. But yeah, that's why I went to Columbia. So... Even though I was like kind of verging on the audio side, I still graduated graduated the composition degree. Oh, okay. But I took a lot of audio classes. Got it. But and that was great because like, you know, I met so many really cool teachers in the audio department too. Yeah. Who were kind of on that what is that, the sixth floor? What was the floor? Sixth floor. Yeah, that's where all the that's where all the uh, philosophical, you know, 
That's the sound place. <clears throat> yeah, the, the basement the, and the sixth floor. Yeah, the basement was the practical yeah. stuff. The sixth floor was like, you know, all the dreamers and stuff. Been like, what is what is sound? You know, yeah, what is what is art? You know, I enjoyed it. It's it was, great. It was a good time between the classes there and the art institute and then my own yeah. life. Yeah, so much information. Totally. So it was so made me who I am. Yep. I know? met a lot of friends. You obviously. Yeah. You know what I mean. And then the beautiful thing about it is that I can't tell you how many jobs or gigs or sessions I've gotten because of friends through college. Absolutely. Because what's weird is that like, yes, you might be saying the similar degree, but everyone goes on and does such wildly different things. Yeah. And you all lean on each other in this fun way. Mm-hmm. And it's it's a beautiful way of working and kind of honestly the only way of working. When you're freelance, you mm-hmm. really depend on your friends. Like Absolutely. Truly. I always make a joke and tell bands that it's like, I literally make money off of my friends. Yeah. <laughs> it's awful. You, but it's true. Like, but, yeah. but they make money off you. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's a symbiotic it's, relationship. It is, it is. It is. It's so funny though. You know, <laughs> It's like I would not exist if it weren't for my friends. Yeah. You know? So that, yeah. that support me and I support them. And so, yeah, what a weird business model. <laughs> it is. It is. But it, I don't, as long as everyone's on the same page yep. and has the same ideas in mind, it's, it's so great because you get to do what you love have fun with it and share it with people yeah. that you care about. Like yeah. your friends, it's not just some like cutthroat yeah. business where you're like, you don't even want to hang out with these people. Exactly. I know so many people in those industries where they're yeah. like, I'm not friends with that person. I don't want to be with them. Yep. It's like I, unless someone is just ends up being really bad and mean, right. I love everyone I work with. I had totally. a band come in yesterday. They're really cool. They had fun they're from Grand Rapids, Michigan. It yep. was great. You know, I have someone coming in today that's from Moldova, an immigrant who came here, tr- trained classical violinist. Yeah. You know, I have someone yes, to, coming tomorrow that's a student of mine at, or graduated was a student of mine. He's in just like an indie rock band, like just all over the place. Oh, yeah. And it's all just from saying yes and opening up these doors and totally. working in this community. <clears throat> and they pass along the information. The next one, and you get a, a text, hey, you want to film here in this date? And it's some a bizarre thing. Like I might film a, a concert at the Joliet State Prison. Mm-hmm. I'm just like, yeah. I just, I mean, wow. just keep saying yes. Yeah, and you're totally. just like, yeah, it's just like weird stuff. It is. But it's just like friends of friends and you just keep this weird, Yeah, I can't explain it, but it ebbs and flows and breathes. It does. You and just got to put it into and it And if though. you're a good person, it it inevitably goes well. Yeah. And you got to put recommend, it into it. Re- we'll recommend you. For right. Based things. on what you're saying earlier, yeah. you learn the nice way to say something to yep. someone. Yep. If you didn't and you were rude, mean, inconsiderate, they're going to remember that and they're yep. not going to pass Doug's name jam deck to the next person. No. If anything, it's going to do the opposite. We're going to be like, oh yeah, we went there and that was odd. Guy sucked <laughs> or he was mean or was rude. Yeah. I wouldn't recommend it. And yeah. now that just did the opposite. Instead of sending your name totally. upward, it just sent it down. Yep. And now you lose potential stuff yep. or future stuff. It's like, man. It all comes back and I, I will be, be totally a nice person. <laughs> honest with you. I have gotten some bizarre recording sessions from the most oddball uh, links, right? Mm-hmm. Like, like you know that person? How do you, you know yeah. I mean? It's so weird. Yeah. So yeah, you cannot talk trash. No. <laughs> and say yes to everything. It makes your palate yeah. wider, helps you understand music better. If you've worked with say yes, I think, 50 all, genres. Yeah, here's it, my thing with say yes to everything. Say yes to everything to try it. If you don't like it, never say yes to that again. Yes. You know That's I mean? how you know how, when you shouldn't say yes to exactly. everything. Say yes. I, I've learned that. Like, yep. yes. And then you're doing like, I'm not, not for doing me. that anymore. But, yeah. but at least I have that experience. Totally. And now I know my threshold in a certain category. Yep. And that's best you can ask for. But to just turn stuff down because you're like, nah. Yeah. It's like, then you just closed off potentially 50 other doors. When you start out, you know, and I, but almost to kind of like give another 
sidestep to this this talk is that like uh, I'm kind of think rethinking this sometimes because when you especially when you're recording <clears throat> if you're an engineer or something uh, be wise about what you want to work on because there is a a, a backlash to it mm-hmm. um, you know it's cool to say yes to everything but it's also you need to be honest with you yourself if you want to do it mm-hmm. because <clears throat> um, let's say this has happened to me before where you record a band of a genre that maybe you don't particularly like that genre be like I want to try it mm-hmm. right cool and then I did a really good job on it mm-hmm. well what's going to happen is that like they're going to tell their friends that also have that similar thing and they're all going to come to you and you're just like oh no I didn't I didn't <laughs> you know so it's like it's like it's a weird push and pull where it's like yes in the beginning it's probably cool to like say yes to a lot of things just to kind of get your bearings going mm-hmm. and stuff but but you know also be careful what you want to I know what you're saying sign up for because yeah. your name's going to be on it and you want to exhibit work that you're proud of that your name is on it yeah and so and you want that to spread down the right lane yeah you know what I mean that you want to go down yeah and that's a learning curve yeah. um. <clears throat> but yeah, that's that's just my two cents on it. Maybe not everyone agrees with that, but I do. I would do think you should be a little careful when you start really getting into it mm-hmm. to like being like, okay, I, yeah, this this is not my trick, you know. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> that, so. That's how I am with records. Yeah, with albums, I'm, I'm more particular. Yeah, and then with sessions, it's like if, if you're true. in a band and you have music, yeah, I don't, yeah, because you're kind of doing anything. like a, a simple setup of yeah. like, yeah, we have a moment where like a record, obviously you track and you mix. It's a process. It's literally a birthing fast. of a baby. Yes. <laughs> yeah. It's like yes, nine this months. Is, that's the birthing of a baby. <laughs> yeah. And the session is just translating what it is and they just go on yep. and they use it to get shows and it's just like, it's a different. Daycare. Yeah, it's a different. <laughs> <laughs> I love these metaphors. <laughs> birthing of baby daycare. No, it's a very different beast. Yeah. And. Yeah, it's like with the the intimate evening shows we have here, I'm more particular with. Yeah. And then with DZ Fest, I'm like extremely particular For with. sure. And like yeah. I really... That's a big event. Yeah, and yeah. I really pick like, no, yeah. it's going to be like, it's going to be choreographed really well. Yep. It's not just yes to everything. Yep. And, you know, it's gotten to the point where they say no to a lot of things, which yep. is an interesting place to be at. To like beg people years ago. Yeah. And now be at like, sorry, not enough spots. I'm just like, I feel guilty. Oh, no, it's it's <laughs> totally okay. But you know what? Like I, I, I tell bands a lot too, you know, and I'm sure you say this is like when... If you get turned down for a festival or a record label or something like that, it's okay. Yeah. Like, it's just, a lot of it has to do with timing. Yeah. But it's okay to, like, maybe ask then, like, maybe what what are you looking for or something like that? And then and then maybe, like, resubmit again on yeah. the next record or something like that. Yeah. Like, I, always, I really do think that if you stick to it and you continue a relationship at least like that, it, it does end up. Something. Something will happen. Or some kind of suggestion or something like that. You know what I mean? Something. Just, yeah. Don't like, yeah, don't give up or be discouraged. Don't give up because it yeah. You can attest to this. Like when you're in a band, trying to find your first show is hilarious. Yeah. Or who's gonna put your first record? It's hilarious. Like it's just like it's just a bunch of inbox of well, maybe if you've got a response, it's gonna be no most of the time. Yeah, or a rough show. It'll be a rough show. Tuesday night, sub T. Yeah. Not one of the bands makes sense no, to it'll be, be together. The Burlington. Or Burlington. Well, this was <laughs> ten years ago, back when the Burlington wasn't around yeah, or yeah, not yeah. a thing. Yeah, and there'll be four bands. Mm-hmm. Not one of them even makes sense to be on the same bill. Yep, your audience will be the bands. They'll be the bands, friends or girlfriends, like six people. Yeah, and yeah, it'll sound pretty rough because yeah. if you've ever played in an empty venue, it doesn't sound that good because sounds <laughs> reflecting off the hardwood floor. Unless you're going for that sound. <laughs> 
it, it doesn't sound very good. Yeah. Human bodies are great yeah. at absorbing and diffusing sound. But it's all struggle at yeah. the beginning, right? But now it's, when you do that, but then when you go through that and then years later you might play in front of 50 yeah. or 100, that is such an amazing feeling because you're like, totally. man, I remember looking at an empty place and yep. now it's like half full or fully full, you yep. know? And it's cool and I, I have a lot of friends that have gone down that world much more than I have and they play sold out shows now. I'm like, I'm happy for them. I'm so glad because I know that that's what they do. For, I don't play in bands full time. It's not my yeah. thing, but that's what they do. And I know they started out in the coffee shop. No, yeah. Nobody there, open mic. And now it's, they're playing around the country, sold out. And you're like, that's so cool. Yep. You know, it's awesome. So and I'm sure you and people like that too. Especially when you're booking like a festival. It's so, uh, I feel like that's a huge responsibility because you have to like, <clears throat> it's very stressful. Find a thread <laughs> of like keeping it, um, Keeping the theme in line, but yet keeping it very varied across the the, the band. Uh, oh, what bands you, you're gonna have to play? Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah, um, that's it's a it's a tough one. Um, it's hard. Yeah, and then like lining up that then that's just choosing the bands, right? Yeah, like, yeah. So and that's not even choosing like the artist, like the forty yep. artists selling artwork, the volunteers, what yep, with jobs. Who's totally, doing what. it's so crazy. But it's so awesome when it's it fun, happens. Though. I've never been to it because Come every time. You've had I've had a session September twenty fifth and twenty sixth. Okay, I'll book it in my calendar. You're gonna love it. <laughs> so many cool bands. It's playing. so cool that you have it out here. Yeah, right there. Yeah, very it's, cool. Outside yeah. the city, that's super important. Yeah, like city limits, still Cook County. Yep. You know, same same streets yeah. as the city, but just far enough away where we can have a space to do it. Yep. This yard does not exist in yep. Chicago. If it did. I'd be a very wealthy help, person. You all kind of like set up carpool systems or something like that. It's so like, okay, people there's a, here? Yeah. Like, there's a car leaving here. Join. This person has like three seats. No, you know I never I mean? did. I, bands just find their way oh, here. Oh, that's good. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, 40 bands. I have the lineup completely done. Um, I'm just waiting for all of them to confirm the times and, yeah. that I gave them. And then the post is done. So once that, I mean, I can show you offline, but yeah. once it'll probably next week, it'll come out. So yeah. when this comes out, it'll probably come out. So yeah. I'm excited. It's the most different lineup I've ever had. Um, only two bands have ever played, all new bands. Great. Just, it's so eclectic. I've never had so many different genres. I'm very, very proud of it and excited. It took, yeah. it took a decade to get to this type of lineup. So yeah. It's fun. It's also cool because it's a, that's the one thing I will say about like Chicago has a very diverse music scene. Absolutely. In a very like, uh, very appealing way. Yeah. <laughs> like, uh, yeah. And I think that's why it's so fun to be a recording engineer. I know like, some people like moved to LA and moved to New York or something like that, but, um, I've really loved recording in the city <clears throat> because it's like every band, it's kind of what we were saying earlier, I have no idea what's going to come through the door. It's so wildly diverse. Mm -hmm. I have like, no, I, I I don't have to like work in one niche is what I'm saying. Yeah. Right. That's really good for my own brain. Your own skills. Yeah. It's it really you, fun. It makes you sharp across all edges. You yeah. can figure out, well, it helps you learn what you do and don't totally. like. I love that in my even just like last week, there is like one day I'm recording a country band, the next it's a hip hop thing, the next it's a shoegaze. Like it's like so wildly different. It's a buffet of all my favorite things. Yeah. And so yeah, that's great. That's what I'm talking good. about. Yeah. It's a bad idea to be like, no, I don't want to record that. I only yeah. want to stick to indie rock. Yeah. It's like, but I also know my limitations. Yeah. 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 Like the you know record you did, I liked a lot was the Girl K one. Oh, thank you. Yeah. 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 Oh man, they're I remember new, that show. Their that new show stuff is so. Good. Yeah, she's great. Yeah, great Kathy's singer. awesome. Mm -hmm. Yep. That's an, and that's that's a man. I've known Kathy for a while now, and yeah, when I, when, we, when I first met her, she was so young. I mean, she's still so young, right? She's she's only twenty one. Oh wow! But when I met her, I'm pretty sure she was only nineteen years old. Okay. 
And like, I had so much fun working with her on her records because it, it was like in that middle age where it's like, God, if I was this age, this is what I wish someone would tell me. Mm-hmm. Or like, if I had, like, it's crazy that she was that age and was like, I'm gonna go into a studio. Like, I yeah. was 19, I'm like, how do I tune my guitar again? Yeah. <laughs> you know, not, not not that extreme, but you yeah. know what I mean? Like, it, 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 I have such respect for her and her band. Yeah. They're they're amazing. Like, really easy to record and work with and, like, great of, like, really flushing out ideas, especially when it comes to the mixing, you know? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. That, yeah. Her, her newest stuff is so cool because I think the la- that record that you heard, she'd already, like, recorded, had, like, a good solid idea. And then uh, between that <clears throat> and her EP that's already done, I don't know what's coming out, but... Um, we had a lot of talk about like just music where mm-hmm. I was like, you should listen to this. And I was like, you should listen. And she was doing the same thing for me. She was like, you should listen to this. And we, we were sharing music together. Yeah. And I could tell when she brought in these new songs, it totally made it way, made her way into her influence of these songs. Yeah. And it was awesome. And it was, it was really, again, I was talking about like, you know, trying to find your, I hate to say this, but like trying to find your voice. Yeah. It's really important. You know, your thumbprint. It's like, don't copy it. Just, find something that is uniquely you and i feel like she found it in such a cool way it's like this blend of a lot of things and so yeah i'm really proud of her the she's such a hard worker too so it is cool to see like really young up-and-coming artist musicians just like going for it i i get so stoked when i get to record someone who is like under 21 Mm -hmm. because they are kind of a clean slate they're not jaded yet yeah, they're so happy. <laughs> they're so stoked. They want to do. There's a, yes, I was going to do it, and it's also great because it keeps me in touch with a lot of things. Yeah, right? I'm not. I'm not going to lie. I'm getting older, and like my tastes are kind of like, they swivel in and out of things, mm-hmm. and like they, they come in and they show me something. Like, oh my god, I never heard of this. I never thought about it that way. Yeah, yeah. no, you got to you got to stay relevant in this world. Yeah, especially in the arts, you, you have to you have to. I don't yeah. want to be that old guy. I don't either. You know, back at, things are what they used to be. It's yeah. like. Maybe we made real music in my day. Yeah, like, everyone's been saying that forever. I just, totally. So like, be who you are. You're yeah. 33. Yeah. You grew up where you grew up. Learn from it. And then like, sway on both sides. Learn from older people. Talk to them. Totally. What do they go through? Why yeah. are they the way they are? And then learn from the And here's my second too. take on that. Is that people who are like, okay, like, the I can just honestly say this. The, that Girl K record, right? People who listen to that album are around their age. They are so hardcore and enthusiastic about buying records and listening to them. They care so much. I mean, you remember when you're that age? Remember how much you cared about it? Yeah. Like it was a whole different level of like obsession. Yeah. Like it's like I want to know their names. I want to know where they grew up. I want to know what brand of guitar they play. Yeah. I want to know what kind of sticks the drummer used. I want to know everything. They didn't lose it yet. Yeah. That pizzazz. They still believe in Santa Claus. They still, they (laughs) love it. And they're so stoked to see their friend playing on stage. And like, they're just, they're just so caring. And, and I'm not going to lie, compare that to a band who's in their thirties and they play at the empty bottle. Usually it's just a bunch of guys like crossing their arms, just like nodding their head. Like, yeah, it was all right. (laughs) Yeah. Drink their IPA. Exactly. And like, (laughs) and that's okay too. But yeah, like the enthusiasm of that age. I haven't lost it. I, I lost some of it. Yeah, because you do. I can't lie yeah. to myself, but I, I'm I'm happy that I think I feel like I still have a lot of it. Yeah, and it's probably because I surround myself with all age people. Exactly. I have friends from 18 to 70. Yep. You know, I I I have friends from across the board. But I I stay, I also get to stay relevant because my students. Yeah. They'll still make fun of me. Totally. Like I didn't know like screamo emo still is relevant. I had yeah. no idea because yeah, that's what yeah. I grew up listening to. Mm-hmm. So I thought it was just over with. Mm-hmm. And then like yeah, my Chemical Romance, and I was like, wait, what? Still. Yeah. Huh, yep. I had no idea. Totally. So like they always ground me. They make fun of me, but they ground me. And I get to see and hang out with 18, 19, 20-year-olds that are in sound 
all the time and seeing that click in their brain. Yeah. Sometimes it doesn't, and you see them, they don't come back to those classes, they're out. Yeah. But then you see the ones that it's like really go into it, and yep. they go to the next level. Then they go to a mixing and mastering, then they yep. want to go to graduate school, and you see it, and you're like, it's so cool to see that spread. It's yep. really nice to keep me grounded, relevant. Totally. You know? Yep. So working with young artists is fun that way, too. It's super fun. You know, the they band yesterday was young, too, that Perspective came in. that it's, it's, you can gain a lot of knowledge from, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? And even, like, how to talk about music. I mean, I know it sounds silly, but, like, it's like... You know, I feel like it's so silly that like we're people obsess over Gen Z, Gen Z. What's going on with Gen Z? You know what I mean? It's so funny <laughs> to me. And like, and I, what's more hilarious that you know Gen Z is looking at us like, why are you all so obsessed with us? Chill yeah. out. <laughs> like, we're actually just more chill than you. You, know, you just can't figure that out. You yeah. guys are all of anxiety, and we don't. You know, like, <laughs> like we've kind of figured that out. And so, it is great that you know someone who comes in the studio that just literally grew up with the internet you know yeah um having access to which might kind of like inform like why like a younger generation might still be in like mechanical romance like we, we, we kind of like grew into an age where the internet hadn't quite taken off from music yet uh-huh. like we still had to go in and like buy a cd yeah as, at a young age like junior high or something you mm-hmm. know mm-hmm. and um even like we can talk about illegal downloading for that stuff took forever so it got through a little bit, you know what I mean? Did a lot of that. Yeah. So <laughs> it, it, it's still music through, still like kind of came through, through the radio, right? Through these mm-hmm. pipelines of mm-hmm. like, here's what is popular. Here's what everybody's listening to. And everyone sort of shared that consciousness, if you want to say it. mm-hmm. that's deep. Really. Uh, now it's all gone. It's all through the internet. Mm-hmm. It is all, it is all over the place. Mm-hmm. Like, Someone who is maybe in their early 20s will come in the studio and be like, Doug, okay, uh, I know you said you want to, and you want to know what kind of record we want to make. Well, we want it to be, uh, we want it to be like some psych band from the 60s, but we also want it to be like Nirvana, but we also want it to be like uh, Charlie XCX. It's all over the place, mm-hmm. you know? And I'm like, what the hell does that mean? You know what I mean? <laughs> like, I'm so confused. Yeah. Like, I have no idea what that means. Yeah. That is such a combination of like, you lost me, mm-hmm. you know, but that's, that's literally what it's like. It's just all genre. It's all decades. And now you have records. And I think this kind of makes sense now when you listen to, especially in like the indie rock realm, you have drums that sound like Fleetwood Mac and you have guitars that sound like grunge and you have vocals that sound like shoegaze. It's literally all the decades. Mm-hmm. So there's a mixture going on. And so that's why it's so important when I'm like, what kind of drum tone do you want? You know, what kind of guitar tone do you want? And talking about that. So, and you gotta be okay with that. Like, be flexible. It's it, these 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 mashups of genres are so bizarre now that you kind of can't like, hey Ben, what kind of music you play? I'm like, I'm in a rock band. You can't do that anymore. No, you can't. No, you gotta be like, you almost you almost can't even like tell the genre. You almost have to be like, well, it's a combination of this band and this band, mm-hmm. and then people kind of understand what you're talking about. Absolutely, more, it's right? hard. You can't. You literally can't be like, well, I'm in a indie rock band, but it's like a shoegaze thing, but it's also like. This and this and this. And mm-hmm. people are just like, hey, uh, okay, I think I know what you're talking about. It depends yeah. on who you're talking to. If it you're does. talking to your parents, I just yeah. said, oh, yeah. Oh, I'm, in a I'm rock not band. even getting to my parents. <laughs> Lord. Just just in a rock band. Me trying to describe my job to my parents is hilarious. Uh, me so. too. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, no, that's that's a whole <laughs> other subject and topic. I'm just literally talking about even with bands. What do they but. say that you do? When they talk to like friends and family, I don't even I don't know. I've never I'm scared to even hear <laughs> what they say, you know? But uh you know, I I I I, ha- I did once have my parents come into the studio and show them exactly what's going on. 
Um, I had to, and it, I, that was the only way I could like legitimize my job to them. I'm like, look at this is a console, and my dad is like, oh, I'll be damned, you know, like <laughs> I can't believe that's old and that you actually press these buttons. I I thought I I have no idea what he thought, but like he just has no idea, yeah, you know. So yeah. that's the only way I could like really show them is to show them the studio, you know, yeah, um, and like kind of softly explain the process, but it's cool. They like they totally. Uh, especially my mom has always supported my like music obsession for sure she put me in guitar lessons when i was really young oh, that's so, good like i was honestly like eight years old when i started taking guitar lessons that's excellent that's a great time yeah. to take them yep and so i had guitar teachers all the way up through high school so you've been playing since you were six yeah so 27 years so yep yeah wow. and i'm not even like i it, it, i hate telling people that because they're like all right show me what you got you've been playing for that long i can't solo I, I've never been, I've never even been interested in soloing. I just love, I, I am the best rhythm guitar player. <laughs> For real though, I love rhythm guitar. I don't, I don't fully understand soloing. Like, I guess I solo. I love it, but like, I, I more want to give that to someone else. I, I love it. I wish I could do it. I wish I could like rip a Jimmy Page yeah. solo. I just can't do it. I don't know. But I can play you any meters. Yeah. Song. You know, I love rhythm guitar. I just love Bashing away. You're probably the best rhythm guitar player. It was fun. It was <laughs> I was obsessed with it. So obsessed with rhythm. What kind of guitar do you play right now? Uh what do you get what are you rocking? You know, I let's see, what do I have right now? Um I've been playing my acoustic the most. Yeah, I've got this old sixties Gibson J forty five that cool. I use a lot. More of an acoustic cool. person. In and out. That's probably the rhythm talking. Yeah. Um I learned a lot of like, especially when I was in my early twenties, I started learning a lot of like not not even for, for performing, just for pure self fun. I learned a lot of like, uh, you know, country blues stuff, like Delta blues stuff. Yeah, I, I got really obsessed with it. I loved the the racket of it and the raw and the intensity of it. Mm -hmm. um, became really obsessed with Mississippi Fred McDowell. Obsessed with him. Uh, incredible slide guitarist, um, Hound Dog Taylor, all that stuff that like really like brutally raw sounding blues music. And that was more punk to me than punk. So I obsessed over it. Yeah. I love the spirit of the energy of it. Yeah. And I still think that spirit of it goes into my recording process where like I love raw energy like mm. that, you know? So yeah. yeah, cause they were using, you know, like really bizarre, like Tysco guitars, like nothing fancy. And they no. made the best sounds out of it. Yeah. Right. Like your silver tone amp you had down there, right? Yeah. That's the, Beautiful amp. Yeah, and the silver like, tone fourteen forty eight. It's great guitar, like, you know. Yeah, with the all lipstick of container. I'm such. I'm so obsessed with those. Like you know, what used to be cheap pawn shop guitars now. Off brand stuff. Yeah, off brand generic stuff. stuff yeah, um, airline K. Yep. yep. Silver tone. Yeah, yeah. I, I kind of, I kind of really push against the uh, the boutique amp world and boutique anything. I kind of like. I kind of hate it. Why I, do you kind of hate it? Because clean doesn't mean good. Um, just true bypass does not mean good. Like, mm -hmm. I, I think it's just kind of like, I call it like the Joe Bonamassa mentality, right? Where it's like, I got to have this like $2,000 amp. I got to have this blah, 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 a guitar just to be able to play. It's just not true. Like mm -hmm. you don't need that stuff. Yeah. Some of my favorite musicians are people that play like total junk stuff, but their talent is insane. And it's shaped them to mm -hmm. become a certain way that's mm -hmm. like very unique to them. Mm -hmm. And I like, I, I like that more. Um, yeah, I think, especially right now, we're kind of like in a world where, uh, you know, or, or a, a style of guitar playing where um, guitars themselves are difficult like they're they're either too expensive 
or they're like so severely cheap and poorly made that they're like we are in that world it's, it's like very weird. annoying the dynamic yeah. is not close enough it's re- yeah you get really really cheap stuff yeah. or so expensive yeah. it's like that was 300 bucks or 3000 yeah and you're like what is where's yeah, the middle ground give me the 500 dollar one yeah i want a 5 to 1000 right. that's a really good spot for a build and the bummer thing is is that even like the vintage 80s stuff is now like expensive so mm-hmm. it's even hard to like use some of that stuff mm-hmm. that uh that you know used to be cheap even like 5 years ago mm-hmm. and now is like very very expensive so i i, I do think that's a little bit of a difficult thing to 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 gather that that gear but yeah i think a lot of times like I, I, you know i don't know this is kind of my take on it but like the 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 pedal world especially is getting a little bonkers where it's like uh you know a delay is a delay is a delay at the end of the day like there are different delays obviously <laughs> you know what i mean but like but just be careful like I, I just don't think, I think it, I gotta be careful about saying this, right? I don't want to eat my words because I think that a lot of times people will bring in very expensive guitars, very expensive pedals, very expensive amps. And you can clearly tell that the, uh, the process has been reversed where they're like, for me to be a better guitar player, I need this product instead of being like, oh, it's me. Uh, and yeah. then accentuating it by the pedals. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Or the guitar, like the Silvertone 1485, 1448 that I have downstairs. It's a 61. That's the suitcase one. Yeah. I love that. Yeah, with the amp in the case. The lipstick. It's great. See, I know, all, I know all the lingo yeah. and stuff. Brazilian Ro- Rosewood. It's not even yeah. legal anymore. Uh, Three-quarter size guitar, 18 frets. It plays like garbage. Yeah. But, but it sounds awesome. It sounds cool. Oh, I got it because so of good. Cat Power, one of my favorite oh, singer-songwriters. That was yeah, her guitar. Yeah, yeah. It inspired me to get it. So I've had it for 10 years. It's one of the worst guitars I've ever played. Yeah, because I have I compare it to my. But don't you feel like okay? But here's my here's my thought on that. When I find when I'm playing a guitar, and it's like from that era, yeah. it's like it is. It's the fret action is wild, yeah. and and it goes out of tune. But that's why I love it exactly. because I can bash away. I know it's going to go out of tune. I know that it's going to give me the sound that is so uniquely that sound and so raw i hate to say that word but like uh like it's got it's got unique sounds to it and that is so much better than someone being like okay well here's this uh guitar and it's going to cost you uh three thousand dollars but it can make every sound you want and it's like well that's not the point yeah and it plays like butter you know what i mean it's like i don't know that's how do you feel about the amp simulator pedals (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's okay per genre i noticed that happens in metal with a lot Everything else, um, no. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Okay, here's a, here's a fun story, right? Uh, I was recording this band, and they brought in these giant old vintage custom tube, uh, solid-state amps. Yeah. Like the Creedence Clearwater style amps. They're basically like PAs. They're loud. They're insanely loud. And the guitar player was hooking up, and he had that soul food pedal, which I hate the title of that pedal, like soul food. That's a bad name. Oh, and so I'm just like, no, turn that off and just crank it. And he, we just, he's dimed it out. You can do that in the studio. Yeah. And like, he's just like, oh my God, that's insane. I'm like, that's, and maybe it's because we all like grew up in apartments now or something like that. And we're like, we're worried about volume. We can't just crank. I grew up in the country 
And I sold my first cow when I was <laughs> 13. And I used that money and I bought a freaking Marshall half stack, <laughs> a JCM 900. <laughs> and I had a half stack in my mom and dad's garage and I'm blasting it. And I'm like, oh my God, this is so awesome. I never heard the phrase in my life. <laughs> I sold my first cow. Truly. And, and bought a Marshall. Oh no, Marshall I was way younger than that. I was in grade school. I was literally in fifth grade. Yeah. How much money did you get for your first cow? I don't know, but I can tell you exactly. How does one sell a cow? Okay, so when you're in 4-H, do you know what 4-H is? Yeah. Yeah, so you there's an auction at the end. And typically why they do this is they, they let you sell your steer, right? Because you showed it as a bucket calf when it was the year prior, when it was a little teenager, essentially. And I would bottle feed it, everything. And then I would go home from school. I'd have to walk it around the house to train it. To, how to outside walk, the house. Outside the house. Not yeah. around the house. Right, right, okay. right, 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 right. Yeah. Because they live out in the barn. <laughs> yeah. You know? But yeah, I would, I would walk it down the road every night. So it became halter trained. It's really calm. And then you show it when it's an adult. And um, there's a whole process of doing that. And then at the end of the show season, you sell the cattle um, and for what you think it is. Yes. They, they, they go to the market. And that was a very sad tra- trauma. Inducing things. Sounds like there's a couple of them, huh? Yeah, that was tough. That was rough. And but the thing is, uh, my parents, I mean, my mom specifically was like, okay, so what? Why they have this is because they it's supposed to go to your college uh, fund. I can't remember how much a cow sells for. I think back then it was like a thousand dollars. Okay, right. That's a lot of money when you're a kid, though. Absolutely. Right, but but what I didn't think about was my dad was fronting all the feed bills and stuff and medicine or whatever, you know. So he did pay a lot of money. I didn't have to fix. I didn't have a job. Yeah. But they let me keep the money. And my, my mom said that she's like, you have a choice. Either you save this for college. Oh, remind you, I'm in fourth grade. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so you know what my answer is going to be. Yeah. And they said, or you can use it towards something you really want. Um, and of course, I'm like, I want to amp. Heck yeah. You know? Yeah. So this is, I can't remember what year this is. I don't even want to do the math right now, but this is like when like eBay first started. Mm-hmm. And uh, I got on my mom's account on eBay and I totally bought a Marshall half stack up in Hoffman Estates. Oh, not far from here. So my mom, we got in the minivan. My mom drove me all the way up to Hoffman Estates, like three hours. Mm-hmm. And here comes this little, I can see how old are you when you're in like fifth grade? Oh, 10, 11. Yeah. Here comes this little 10 or 11 year old knock on this guy's door with cash in my hand. It's like, hey, sir, I'm the guy who bought your Marshall half stack and he like just looks down he's like what <laughs> tube amp and everything tube amp that's yeah a jcm 900 that's you know awesome. why i got a jcm 900 because that's the amp they use in dookie yeah and that's the album i was obsessed with at that age. that's a good price but it was back then so exactly now it was back then more. yep and so do you still have it i don't <gasps> why yeah because i you I, traded it for a cow i, I, traded it for, <laughs> I was like actually i like the cow <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I sold it, uh, and I got an orange half stack. I kept, oh. I kept, and this is where it all starts for Doug and his gear obsession. Is I bought that amp at such a cheap price, kept it for like five years, and it was my touring. I toured even when I was in high school. And I had that amp. I bought an orange amp. I sold it. Used that money, got an orange amp. Uh, sold that. I just kept selling. High watt. Trying, try, you know, trading up, trading up, trading yeah. up, trading up. Did you get a high watt? No, I never oh. got a high watt. That is one of my favorite amps ever, though. I thought you would have went Marshall Orange high watt. Yeah, right. No, but the see, this is where I start to turn and I get the Gibson acoustic. Ah. Uh-huh. Yeah. And then, then this is where I turn and then it's like, let's see, this is like probably like my first year of community college. I get, that's when I start recording bands and that's where I start buying recording gear. Mm. So 
That's where it started. Just some microphones and mm-hmm. stuff. I had one of those really bizarre like Tascam, the twenty four eighty eight, where it was like way too many channels and it's all digital, no computer. And then you burn the CD at the bottom. Mm-hmm. That's how I was like recording my own music mm-hmm. and recording my friends' bands. Yeah, so silly. It's so, awesome. I mean, you gotta start somewhere. I started with a cassette player. Yeah, I didn't even start with cassette. Oh, really? Yeah, went straight to CD. I did cassette. I went straight to, to the CD. Tascam. Eight track. You know, everyone like when they like Doug. What was? Or I'd ask any engineer like, what was your first situation? They always like to give this reply where it's like, oh yeah, it was like this cassette deck or this like tape machine. No, nope, never did it. I went straight to digital. Mm, <laughs> that's so funny. I did cassette straight to digital. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. then uh, and then yeah. I mean, I mean, maybe you could make an argument that my I did have a tape experience because of my Fisher Price little mini micro cassette. Yeah, you know, yeah. I mean, just like making you know, police siren sounds into it and recording and hearing that back. I mean, maybe that's my first, you know, it is is a fun experience when you don't know what you're doing, (laughs) but you know, you want to record. Yeah. You have no idea how anything works. Totally. You have no idea what anything is. A microphone. And reading the manual just seems so daunting and lame. Yeah. You just wing it. You just wing (laughs) it. Things are bad. They're distorted. It's, that's how you learn though. Totally. And then when you go to school and you can couple like your musical skills. Yep. The, the messing around with the gear tinkering for years yep. and then the actual real education for people in the field and the actual science and art behind it, it's like creates, and it's then beautiful. you throw in the experience with, yep. you know, doing the studio and the internship. It's yep. like, it all comes together and you have such a wide palette for understanding yeah. all of it. Totally. You know? I am not cool. I'm not that engineer that I came up through analog anything. I actually started recording to tape um, probably like, Four years ago, four or five years ago, I have, a, you, I have an old oh, scully yeah, you have a tape machine there. Yeah. yeah, and that thing came from Muscle Shoals, which is super cool. Whoa! Yeah, it's what? a total vibe machine. And That's so uh, awesome. Yeah, I've never used a Studer. I've never used an Atari. I've never used any other tape machine. Is it two inch? It's a one inch, one eight inch. track. I love that thing. How often do you use it? Probably like twice a month. Twice a month. Yeah, I always wanted to get a like a sixteen twenty four channel two inch, but it's so it's totally. so expensive. Yeah. Yep. You know, it's the maintenance sometime. is rough. Yeah, it's getting harder um, too. Yeah. The more we progress into digital, yeah. the more that's not feasible. Yeah. But I love it. It's fun. And, it, and you know, I actually don't even like obsess over, over the, the sheer sound. I just love what it does to the mindset of a band to record on tape. Yeah. Because it's like, you know, you really have to like talk, have a talk with them. Um, sometimes I'll pull it from them where they're like, we want to record the tape. And I'm like, I'm sorry, you guys are not tape ready. That's just not, it's not going to happen. Like, you know, because it's like to record to tape, you have to make sure that one, we have the patience for setup time and everything. But two, you have to make sure that your performance is good because it is on there. And it's like, it's so funny. You ha- you explain all that and you explain everything, the steps and everything. And still when it gets to mixing, like, can you? Uh, and I'm like, no, I can't. Like how you hit that snare is how you hit that snare. Yeah. Or I, I should say more like a Tom mic, right? Because yeah. it's only eight tracks. Mine is. So... I, uh, the the one re- record I did, uh, that band Cafe Racer. Oh, I know them. Yeah, that last band. They're a big sounding band, right? Huge. And all of the basic tracks, we're talking three guitars, bass, and a full drum set. That is on eight tracks. How did you do that? Uh, just going for it. And like, making how did sure, you fit it on there? Like, what was uh, the layout? Um, I had, so the, 20, the, the, the console is 24 channels, and you can, it has eight group outs. Okay. So I can group all my, right, uh, uh, my good friend Elise is, is, is the drummer in that band, and, and she used a, f- a full kit, and there's multiple mics, and I, and I just have to group them. So you get a mix properly on yep. the board and then group them? All, all you can do. four channels on tape. So literally channel one was room left 
and Tom, whatever. Channel two is room right and Tom, whatever. Yeah. Channel three and four is kick and snare. Yeah. And that's just going for it. That's cool. It's wild. It's punk rock. Yeah. It's so punk rock. <laughs> and in and it's crazy. Oh, another band. This band called Spread Joy. They're pretty new. We did everything live to tape, even vocals. And that was so awesome. Ooh. In yeah. that room? In that room, yeah. What's it sound like with the bleed like the Well, I, I stuck the vocals in the uh, ISO room. Oh, okay. So everything else was live though. Amps, everything. And I yeah. just I just literally placed her microphone right into the space echo, out of the space echo, straight in the tape machine. Mm. And I love the sound of the album. Because so here's my case for it is that they are a confident band that has rehearsed. They know exactly what they want to do. Yeah. That's step one. And two, because of that rehearsal, they they then can, they know setting up microphones, take, but but it's minimal miking, right? Because you only have eight tracks. So because of that, the drummer will come in and hear it off the tape and they'll be like, okay, I know now how I need to hit the snare drum or how to hit the, they, they, they then respond to that sound. Mm-hmm. And that's beautiful. Mm-hmm. And I wish bands would do that anyway, even though they know it's digital. It's like, they should really kind of like, when they come in for like, to see if the, tracks are sounding good or the the miking and everything is good they should really listen and be like oh wow like my cymbals are just crazy washing it's why is it so loud and that's why i usually kind of turn the drummer's like well because you're just smacking the living daylights out of it you know maybe like chill you know and then balance that out and when they balance themselves out they come back and like oh, great i'm so glad that conversation happened you know mm-hmm. so yeah, that's a, that's a difficult thing yeah eight eight it's, eight, one, it's eight, the whole eight. glenn john story you yeah know? yeah yeah where he's just like can't hit the snare. It's like, well, hit it harder, you know? Yeah. Can't hit the cymbals. Or cymbals are too loud. Don't hit it as hard. You know, it's the yeah. same process. So that's why tape is so fun because it's like, it really makes me a better engineer because I know going in has to be like so yeah. good. And it makes the band a better band because they also know that this stuff is like grouped out. It's on the tape. And this tape machine is so old, you cannot do punch-ins. So. Oh, wow. Yeah. So you have to do it. Everybody has to do it right. Wow. And that's so when you, cool. when you give that pressure on the band, they're like, Oh yeah, oh yeah, okay. So they're like yeah. just stoked, and they do. They perform it better, and it's, it's because I given them that that mindset to do it. Yeah, yeah. How long does the one inch tape last? Like, how long does it real last? Well, it runs by either, which is this is another thing. It runs in either fifteen or thirty ips. Yeah, just wow, thirty, right? Yeah. And so, uh, if it's thirty, it's flying. For those listening, inches per second. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if it's thirty, it kind of shaves off some of the low end. So if I'm doing a country record, I'll do it in thirty because I don't need that sub bass. I won't want the open the top end open up, so I'll run it in thirty, and I have to really watch it because it will fly through. Mm-hmm. I should also mention a lot of times I'm doing tape; it's being dumped into Pro Tools yeah. post everything. Yeah, so it's still you get some control. Co- yeah, yeah, some control, and it also is getting the color archived like that. It's funny you said that the thirty low end. That's thirty kind of came in the late seventies, early eighties, yeah, and that's why production changed so much. Yeah. then a lot of low end was gone, but you get that more clarity. And yeah, the top end is just. Pew. And for those listening, that is. They went from 15 inches per second, doubling it to 30. Yep. And you got more high end, but you lost a little bit of low end. Right. And that's why that, what, what, what would you say, like 78, 77? I, yeah, probably. Probably only like 75. 75. You I could bet. tell. Yeah. You, you listen to tell. records, you're like, something's different. Yeah. It's also the technology got better, yep. preamps, yep. EQs. New new tape machines. Gear, um, all your engineers weren't just like electrical engineers anymore. By yeah. that point, they were actually people who had 15, 20 years of experience. Exactly. And, oh. Yeah, you're exactly right. So, yeah, because of that, you got a completely different sound. Totally. It's really wild how yeah. technology shapes yep. the industry, you know, and then CDs came in and you still got does. More. Still does. Yeah. Look at Spotify. Yeah. You know, I mean, look, I, I, even more so, I think, look at Ableton, I think is a really oh, good yeah. conversation, right? That 
you know, here's a program that you don't have to know literally squat about how to play an instrument and mm-hmm. you can just pencil this in and do virtually anything you want. Yep. If you take the time to learn how to like MIDI map things and, you know, um, you can make a whole arrangement, a whole band. I mean, it takes time and it's, I, my opinion, not as fun, mm-hmm. but you know, if you're doing electronic music, it's amazing. Mm-hmm. And so, and you have all these effects and you learn about effects quickly and what they do and what they, you know, you learn like, there's not just a delay. There's a ping pong delay. There's a, 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 a spatial, you know, delay, all these things, right? Like you don't just learn. It's not, it, we've gone out of like boss, basic boss pedal world to like this intense, you know, palette. Yeah. Now the flip side of that is that, um. It's, you got to be careful because, again, with the guitar thing, it's like you, you don't want to get – you want to make sure your songwriting is in check first before you get into the flowery effects. Mm-hmm. And so you make sure the songs are good. And I, I do kind of have this feeling that um, – could be wrong, but I in my senses, I think that, like, it's been reversed a little bit where, again, the bands maybe might bring in a song and they're like, all oh, these effects and everything. I'm like, yeah, but the song just isn't like there. It's not hitting. Yeah. Yeah, it's not hitting. So we need to like scrap all that and get to the the bare bones. And sometimes that makes bands really uncomfortable. But yeah, it's yeah. almost like a slight at their creativity, you know? Yeah, you just don't want any like cop-outs. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So you want to make sure that like that structure is there. And um, that's another part of my own work that I do. I think a lot of times I'll hear them start a take and then I'll come out and be like, you know, what what do you feel about this? What if we like don't, that part's too long. Or maybe like switch this or, you know, some kind of suggestion. Yeah. You know, so I will I will always give my feedback immediately. Um, if it's like a really intense thing, I will not do it with the talk back. I'll walk out and we'll talk, you know what I mean? But if it's like a little thing, I'll just like talk it through the talk back and just yeah. try to get something new just to show them. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Um, so that happens quite often. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's interesting. Technology is crazy in that, like, especially with Ableton, it's it's nuts. Mm-hmm. Um, I just, I I don't use Ableton as often as I should probably, but I'm trying to still learn it more. But yeah, I mean, it has like the whole Max for Live stuff. Like mm-hmm. the, the the possibilities are just stupid. Yeah, but you do have to question it though, right? It's always defaults to four four time. It it, it it makes you write a certain way if you don't be careful. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it's good to like recognize that. And know when to turn the grid off and know when to turn it on. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. With anything. Yeah. And signal flow. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I still want to get that what, signal flow is life. Yeah, truly. That's such a good one. That's a good tattoo. Yeah, it's a good tattoo. Man. Any um do you have any future endeavors that you're working on? Trying uh, like anything know. with the studio, any branching out, any cons? Like me teach? You? No, what, what, say that again, teacher endeavors. What, no, any oh, future endeavors. Oh, future, I'm sorry. Um, you know, I think it's just right now in this point where, this sounds silly, but like I've, I'm have i actually, this year is the first time I've actually felt like the studio is mine, right? Because I bought it from Benjamin, the previous owner. And so, and I respect him so much. I was always like, just don't mess with anything up. You're going to ruin the vibe of this place. You're just going to ruin the place if yeah. you change anything. Yeah. Even, the, even the damn toilet paper roll in the bathroom. Don't change anything. It's just going to ruin the, the vibe, yeah. you know? Yeah. Because I respect his opinion so much. So mm-hmm. it, was, it was so intense to me. But this year, I've finally started to like put in things that I feel like in my own aesthetics that I like. Um, so I've, I finally feel like it's becoming my studio, which is a weird thing to think about. Mm-hmm. Like I pay the bills. Obviously, it's my... But like it's, it's, it's different where I'm like, I feel like I'm starting to like make it my own. Mm-hmm. You know, like I walk in, I'm like, 
I, I, I did that, you know, yeah. or I don't know. That sounds silly, but yeah. So the endeavors is really a, so that's a, a small, small goal is doing like little cosmetic things. Um, I'm building out, uh, actually it's in my old mix room, but I'm putting this big sliding glass door to have a future larger secondary ISO booth mm-hmm. where I'm going to put um, like the organ, the B3 organ and some stuff. So that's kind of cool. It's kind of a big deal to me. I don't know. It's, cause it's a visual change up even, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but the, I think the big goal for me this year is I love Chicago. I love all the bands in Chicago, but I don't want to record on Chicago bands. I just don't. Um, I really love recording bands on tour. I think it's uh, a, a really cool privilege to be able to do that, as you know. Yeah. Right. I love when a band comes in. So for a cool. Session out of state, out of country. So what I'm trying to do is actually kind of build the studio more friendly for people who are maybe like playing a show, and maybe they have the next two days off. Not only can they come in and record the studio, but uh, like I have a, a good environment for them to sleep there and stay there in a shower and and all that. So they can actually like, you know, bunk up there. Yeah. And then. You know, and my, my kind of thought process is like, I'll, I'll charge the rate I charge, but they're getting the stay. They get they don't have to get an Airbnb. Yeah, you know, they can stay there. Absolutely. You know what I mean? So I do, yeah. Um, so I that that's actually going to be a huge focus because uh, actually before the pandemic and during the pandemic, we're still during it, but um, I did get to record a lot of bands from like Minneapolis and all over there, and like I had so much fun because it was nice to have somebody from a different perspective like you've said earlier from a different town yeah. and everything and like hear how they talk about the music scene and stuff and what goes on with them and also just like not having any kind of idea of like stature does that sound right yeah like like i i like i i kind of get a clean slate where it's like i don't have any idea what goes on in that city with them nor they're like how big they are i know nothing i guess just like take them as a band it's like i'm not i'm not close you know so it's like a totally different yeah. clean slate. Thing. Yeah, they're completely detached yeah. from you. Yeah. yeah. So I do love that. So that's short answer that turned into a long answer. No. That's my that's my goals. That's cool. Mm-hmm. I like that. Yeah. That's a good place to start. I mean, yeah. I like that. Even like when I got to go film there. Yeah. That was really fun too. I think I did it twice. It was yeah. really cool. Yeah. Those bands are awesome. Yeah. And it's a fun collaboration. I've only filmed in other people's studios, I think. I guess yours. Yeah. I mean, I I go and film at this bar mo- barn all the time, but it's not a full suit. I bring my gear there, but yeah. yours is like complete attached. You do the audio. I did the video. Right. That was fun. Super fun. Yeah. I want to do super more of chill. That stuff. Goes back to the whole thing of like college friends. We know that we're both um, professionals. Yeah. You know. Yeah. So it's like great. Is professional and a, and a homie. This is gonna go so well. Yeah. Like you do your thing. I'm doing mine. Meet in the middle. This is truly how all this works. Yeah. Like I invite drummers on the sessions that I've like worked with before. That I know it's it just it's just how this all functions. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. So and everybody wins. You make money off your friends. Make money off your friends. Single flows life. Your friends make money off you. <laughs> everybody wins. Sell your first cow. Just, yeah. Selling cows. I need to get back into that actually. <laughs> Side gig. <laughs> I gotta call my parents. That's hysterical. So, yeah. So. Oh, wow. I think we talked so much. Three hours. Oh yeah. Did you know that? No. You had no. I idea. told you. To, I didn't even look. I was like, I can chat forever. Yeah. Three hours. It just goes. I know. I love it. Man, it's like All a recording right. session. Yeah, man. Let's wrap her up. Let's wrap it up. Three hours. We just watched the Titanic here. Anything you want to plug? Any websites, social media, YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. You name it. Man, I mean, you know, I will tell you that the the studio website is still being worked on so i could tell you to go there but it just has my email (laughs) (laughs) 
and a cool picture of the console, I guess. But um, <laughs> no, I think that, uh, you know, to people listening to it, I think this is the year coming, you know, after everything that's happened, this is the year I think we really, really need to be very mindful about buying music from bands, mm-hmm. from the artists, of any art. Like, yeah. Like, if you use Spotify, cool, whatever. But use that almost as like a, a paint sample. Yeah. You know? Like, you went to Home Depot and you got a paint sample. That's yeah. not the paint. Like, yeah. go buy the record from the band. Yeah. Because every band I'm working with, it, it's it's really hard right now. Yeah. Because Spotify isn't doing squat. And that affects my job. That affects everybody. Yeah. And I think now, if you, if, like, no different than, like, talking about, like, you know, ethics and f- eating food or something. It's the same thing of buying into music, buying anything. You know, it's really good to support that band yeah. in any way possible that's through them. Like, yeah. hell, message them on Instagram. You know what I mean? Like, they will help you, you know? Yeah. Or tell you how to get their stuff or, or whatever. Yeah. Even if you're like, your record is 20 bucks and I only have 15. I guarantee you they're like, sick. Yeah. Great. Oh, absolutely. Right? Buy like, their vinyl to listen people. to at home. Yeah. To support them and then yeah. listen to them on Spotify when you go in your car. Yeah, totally. That's what I do. It just It's just all that direct contact. Yeah. You know what I mean? And social media makes that so easy. Yeah. Yeah. So Absolutely. Yeah, that's, that's a good my, idea. That's good, my sort of good like advice. recommend, especially after all that's gone through. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And go to shows. Yep. Now that things are coming back. Yep. People are being vaccinated. Things are opening up. Support shows. And talk to the band. Talk to them. Yeah. Just tell them like, hey, I liked your show. Yeah. As corny as that feels. They love that. Yeah. They really do. They haven't heard it in And it's not because they're egotistic. 15 like, months. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Right? Totally. It's and, it's and this is all, we're all going to come out of this like very, it's going to be weird for a while. You know what I mean? Yeah. We're not going to be the same. No. In any way possible. Mm-mm. So I think we really need to like, I don't mean to be extreme about it, but I, I think we really need to reconsider social media practices. We need to reconsider human-to-human contact practices. We need to, like, straight-up call a person, be like, hey, what's up? What are you doing? Not text. We mm-hmm. need to, like, yeah. We yeah. need to, like, get back to, like, the 90s, baby. 90s. <laughs> We're both 90s Internet's kids. great. I'm not anti-internet. I'm not anti-technology. I just, I, I do think that we need to get back into, like, stop, get off social media for a minute, take a break, yeah. and stop thinking about it in those terms of yeah. your status or what you're, how you're functioning in life. It's hard, and it's really, literally making everyone depressed. Yeah, and I think it's utter bullshit. So I think I think we really need to get back at like friends yeah. and like hanging out. I like that, like person to person. We should hang out. Yes, we should. And we <laughs> will, and I will call you. Yeah, call you. me. Right, call me. Right. I, and then I'll respond with a text. Like, check me out on Instagram. <laughs> we'll we'll go from there. No kidding. <laughs> yeah, like, but like, you know what I mean? Like, move past the Absolutely. whole like tagging friend. No, no one needs to know where you are. Yeah, we don't care. Actually, <laughs> we don't care who you're hanging out with. Just. Be in them. Be present. Be present. I, okay, that's the, that's it. I like it. It's good. Right. Yeah, that's it's all it. Good. That's a good ending note. It's that's so. such a positive note. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. We'll do it. It'll get there. I think we've like been through some stuff. So it's been heavy. Yeah, I think we really all miss each other. Yeah. We really do. I miss and so many people. I've totally seen because of this. Yeah. So. Yeah. So <sighs> on that note, it's so good to be with you. Yeah. In person. In person. Yeah. I know. Yeah. This has been right. I love it. It's the it's the the facial cues, everything, everything. the body motion, everything. Thanks yeah. for coming down here, dude. You're so welcome. Thank you for having me here. I appreciate so. it. It was a pleasure to see you again, to hear your story. Uh, Jam Deck's great. I love the studio being Thanks. there, knowing bands that have been there. It's awesome. Keep Thanks doing a lot, it. Man. You Absolutely. too. I, I'm you. glad that we get to uh, experience this as like 
old college buds too. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. fun. Yeah, it's cool to see us just doing the things. So. Totally, it is. Truly, it's awesome. It's like it, it's just, we're just cheerleading each other on. So. Absolutely. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> 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 All right. Take care. You too. Man. Thank you. <laughs>